Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to episode 21. As always, you can find the podcast at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. Um... Coincidentally, for lucky episode number 21, we have uh, Kevin Wilcox calling in from Las Vegas today. So, um, Kevin's been in a bunch of bands in Rochester, and now he's got a new band going on in Vegas, too. So, how's everything going for you out there, Kevin? It's going good, man. I mean, as good as things can go in this crazy year. Um, I I could complain, but I'm not going to. I feel like we've been pretty lucky, personally, during this crazy year. Yeah, yeah, that's something I'll definitely want to get into with you in a little bit. But um, before we dive into like current events type shit, let's kind of uh, take a step back to when you were still in Rochester and like your upbringing and stuff like that, and what got you into punk and hardcore. Um, so I was brought up in a kind of strict Christian family. My parents were pretty into that. I had two older brothers. Um. But my old man, despite, they were pretty hard on, like, letting us get into uh, regular people music um, in terms of what we were looking into when we were younger. But my old man was blasting the oldies station, for sure, all through that. And I took I took to it really big, you know, the, the Beach Boys and the Beatles and the Doors and Chuck Berry and Little Richard and all that crap. I was, you know, all about it. I was always all about the music. Um, and as we got older, obviously we figured out ways to do what we wanted despite, uh, our parents' wishes or rules, you know? And so we got into things that it was the eighties when I was coming up, man. So we got into like the metal stuff that was big at the time. Um, but I mean, it really turned out and I, I kind of loved all of it coming up. I was always into that. Um, but you know, like the oldies channel that was my dad's music the metal stuff that was more my brother's music so when i stumbled upon punk you know it was like finally i'd found my own thing you know and it like really connected and clicked with me in a way that other music really hadn't yet and uh i mean it, it gave me uh it gave me something to hold on to where uh I mean, coming up like that, like, they sent us to, like, a Christian school, you know, so, like, I wasn't friends with any of the neighborhood kids, like, I didn't know anybody, <laughs> like, I hung out with myself, like, a lot, so I kind of had this loner mentality, and to find, you know, a, a rebellious, kick-ass, energetic style of music, it, it, it really spoke to me, and, and I really dug as deep into it as I could. I'm still digging as deep into it as I could. I still find new bands every single day. Now, I guess I never realized you had, like, the Christian upbringing. Was there ever any sort of, like, clash with your family or even just, like, with the ethics that you had been raised on, like, when you started, like, learning about all this punk stuff that kind of went completely in a separate and completely opposite direction of that, I guess? Sure, sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, it was, it was tough tougher for my parents than for me I guess you know but I mean I was the youngest of three boys so 
they had kind of already gone through it with them. So I think I got it a little easier than my older brothers did when they were getting into Metallica or whatever, you know, whereas they're like kind of used to it by the time I showed up and was like, well, I like this crap now. But I think more so than my brothers anyway, I really dove into playing out and they, they had bands too, but like, not the way that our scene was, you know, where we were playing all the time and there was like a lot of stuff going on, you know, but they were like in high school bands and crap is the punk scene was a whole different thing. It was like your whole life, you know. Now, a lot of people from Rochester that I've interviewed so far on this, I would probably say a good percentage anyway, uh, especially from like the hardcore and straight edge scene are more like Fairport kids. And um, now obviously the, the band, the first band that I'll, I'll talk to you about soon you guys were all from Webster, and obviously you're from Webster. Now, did that have any influence on you getting into punk? Like, because you guys kind of had, like, for those that are unfamiliar, I mean, Webster's, what, like 10 miles away from the city limits or whatever, something like that? Um, yeah, we're like a 15-minute drive to Oxford Square, man. Yeah, but you guys always had, like, like whereas with Fairport, you could count on, like, 20 or 30 kids coming to a hardcore show. You could count on at least 10 or 20 Webster kids back then that would be out there for the punk and hardcore shows. Did that kind of influence you on like coming up on that or did you kind of find those kids after you got into the music oh yeah no I, I i i was all alone when i found it man i found it i found it straight up by myself and i had a good year or maybe a year and a half almost two years where like i was the only person i knew that was into that kind of stuff then the first day of 10th grade i showed up in a ramon shirt and I see Pat Welch with a mohawk standing in line for gym class. I was like, holy crap, there's another one. There's, like, somebody else that likes this. And I, I kind of knew Pat. He was, like, a friend of a friend. I had met him a couple times, but, like, when we were younger, before we had discovered punk, so when I, like, I was like, holy crap, a dude with a mohawk, and I kind of know him, like, that day we I mean we became best friends and that within a couple months we started our first band and was that first band the dance or was there any bands before that no that was called originally malfunction and then briefly after that the heart attacks um I don't know if you remember Tim Dunn at all he was in that band Tim Dunn was like the third punk rocker we ever met like up to a point i know like every single fool i specifically remember the day i was like holy crap we've met one more <laughs> fucking punk rocker because it was just like i've been living so long without anybody understanding you know or being into it um anyway so yeah no we had that band which didn't do a lot we played a couple like parties at our friends houses and uh we do have like a tape that was just live at practice or something, or maybe I think there's a recording from one of those shows, but they're obviously shit recordings, you know? But uh, we did that first, and that was like 10th grade, and then I think right at the beginning of 11th grade is when we started the dance. And was Pat was Pat Den already kind of rolling with you guys by then or whatever, or, or is that how, kind of how you guys all met like when you started that band? Well, me and Pat Den, Pat Bolger, we go way back before any of that. My mom used to babysit Pat Dent and his sister. Like, my mom had a daycare at our house, so 
Pat Dent would come over. He probably started when we were in like maybe fourth grade, third grade. He would come over every day before and after school. So me and him became the greatest of friends because we were right at the same age. We we're both little weirdos, man, and uh, we hung out every day and every workday, anyway. So I, I knew Pat real good, one of my best childhood friends. And, uh, but he, in 10th grade, he hadn't totally gone punk rock yet. It was kind of creeping up on him, you know, because that was still, yeah, I mean, like Alternative and Nirvana and all this crap was still going on. Punk rock kind of creeped into Webster High School, a couple people at a time. But by 11th grade, I mean, Bulger got a hold of that Discord 1981 year and seven inches, man, you know, with Teen Idols and Minor Threat, and it's like, it's on. And that's that album is a huge, like, influence on what the Dents were trying to do, for sure, that 1981 DC hardcore sound. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to bring that up because I, I distinctly remember, like, you and I, that was around the time you and I kind of first met each other. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think you and Pat and I all kind of wrote back and forth, like, we wrote letters, oddly enough. Like, we lived in the yeah. same we lived in the same city, but there wasn't, like, a lot of email back then. We probably just didn't have each other's phone numbers yet. So I think you and I, like, corresponded via letter at least once or twice, and Pat and I would write back and forth all the time, which, again, was weird because I could easily catch the bus to the dude's house in, like, a half hour, you know? But, right. um... But I remember, but what I'm getting to is I remember back then, like, for him, and I think for, for you especially, like, I would talk to you guys about Discord, like, those first few releases on Discord all the time back then, because, you know, like, that shit was just, and even now, still, to me, like, that's some of the most important hardcore that I've ever heard, you know, it's, and the shit's just influential, and the other funny kind of, um, before we really get, uh, dive too far into the dance, the funny, uh, comparison I was thinking about before, too, is, like, how, how Henry and Ian worked at that haagen you and Pat worked at uh abbott's together for a couple summers too right that's a fact yeah man we were rochester's own ice cream slinging punk rockers yep uh, that, <laughs> that was a hell of a job man. That, that was that was pretty fun there mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I did the... and our other friend graham worked there too you know we could be goofy and dumb and they left us in charge and it was all right yeah those kind of jobs were always like kind of fun carefree type jobs or whatever um yeah. So then you guys started the dents. I'm guessing that was probably like what, like '97, '98, around then when you guys uh, uh, formed that. Then, right? Yeah, it would have been either late '96 or early '97. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess '98 was more the time when you guys were kind of more hitting your niche and you were playing a lot of those Vertex shows, like you were referencing Vertex earlier. Um, yeah, yeah, we were definitely out and about by '98. Yeah, Vertex was pretty pretty big influential in Rochester at the time. I mean, obviously, for those that aren't aware, uh, Vertex was in a different location back then. It's like around the corner from where it is now, um, which was even more of a shithole than now, I guess, back then. Um, but those shows were a lot of fun, man. The Violent Society show, and it seemed like you guys in the end and Violent Bastards would play at Vertex, like what, like once a month, it seemed like, you know? Yeah, dude. That, that was fun as hell, you know? Because, I mean, early on, it was hard to find places that would put on shows obviously you know and especially a bar that had like an actual stage even though it was only as tall as your ankles you know and had an actual crappy sound system and would let kids in man that was like a that was a fucking gold mine for us 
just to be able to have a place to get together. And I don't mean a gold mine financially because <laughs> nobody was making money. I just mean like good fucking times and like a place we could all get together. Yeah, and speaking of us all getting together, that's another thing that I've kind of talked about on some of these episodes is that that era was really fun because it was one of the last eras where you would have like, like you guys were like the old hardcore punk band. Uh, the end was kind of similar, but they were more like a little crustier. But then you would also have like the professionals, um, like a couple like 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 more like straight edge hardcore bands. Mm-hmm. Even like what I don't forget what the black metal band was called, but there's like some black metal bands that would play too. Like there was such a, a mixture. A nocturnal trinity. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Trinity, um, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's all the outsider groups, you know. I I liked those shows, man. I thought they went together well. I loved the professionals, man. I loved loved a lot of those bands. It was, uh, I don't know. And to me, that's kind of what the whole original, like, 70s punk scene, when that shit came out, too, it's like not every band is supposed to sound the same. Like, everybody had their own style, and it was all a little bit different, and it was all, like, different than what the hell's going on in mainstream music, man. It was... It was good to have that variety, I think. And it definitely exposed, because we were young, you know? Most of us were tiny. Um, and it's exposed us to a lot of different styles of music. That's shit's good for your brain growing up, man. Yeah, it's great. Everybody digging on the same bullshit, you know? There's a lot of crap going on out there. Yeah, it's crazy to think how young we were back then, too, you know? And just kind of doing all this crazy, fun shit. Um, so the dense... I know you guys. What, what, did, what you did a seven inch with Spindle, and there was like a demo. Was, was that pretty much the discography, or was there anything else that you guys did along the way? That's pretty much it. I mean, the the demo tape we put out ourselves. Spindle did the record. I think I think he did that just in and maybe a comp tape on his short lived but wonderful label. Um, we're on maybe a comp or two. There's some very limited cassette tape from this band called the strict that we met up with when we did our tiny little tour. Um, and I don't think they even asked us, but they like put out a tape that one side was their demo and the other side was our demo. That's uh, I don't know how many copies of that are out there, but I got one. So it exists. <laughs> um, it's just the same thing as our demo. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much all we got. There's a uh, one song on the rock core cassette competition compilation that uh was like an outtake from the seven inch sessions that we didn't do we didn't put on the record but that's about it recording wise i mean we had other songs but they didn't all get recorded we're going to take a short break from the interview to listen to two songs by the dents the first song is called the old routine and the second song is called 15 dollars of fame Come on. 
mentioning that tour. What 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 year was that? That was like towards the end of the band. You guys did like a, a little tour there, right? That would have been. Well, it would have been 1998. Um, like right when we graduated high school, we left like that same week. And that's like exactly when the seven inch came out too, because the seven inch was supposed to get there like a day or two before we left for fucking tour. But of course it was late. So like Pat Dent's mom had to overnight it like to somewhere in Ohio or some shit. But, uh, yeah, that would have been June or whenever the fuck you graduated high school of 1998. Which reminds me, I think I put the tour was 1999 on that guy's book submission, so I fucked that up. <laughs> Memories are hard, man. Yeah, yeah, that's For one. Me, especially getting the years right, I'm, yeah. I'm no good at that. That's one thing with doing all these episodes is like I get I run into a lot of people like that where they're like, you know, my memory, and I feel bad sometimes asking like, you know, when was when did this happen? When did that happen? Because I know sometimes if you don't have a flyer right in front of you or like, you know, that's why it was good. Like people like me and Spindle were doing fanzines back then. So we kind of documented some of the stuff that was going on. It was really important. And I I love listening to shit like this too. So don't be afraid. Fire all your questions. (laughs) The the worst I can do is give a shitty estimate, but that's better than nothing. Because yeah, I mean, this shit interests me too, man. I, I listened to a bunch of your shit, man. I was listening to the one with Ruben. I love that freaking interview. That dude rules, man. Yeah. Some good good giggles and shit out of there and Callahan and all that bullshit. But Yeah. I mean this shit is important and I'm I'm glad I'm glad we're getting it down, so Yeah, it is important. I can't promise complete accuracy, but I, I'll give you the best I can do. No, that's that's great. And and it's funny because you mentioned the shit being important and you had mentioned that that book already um it's just interesting to think i was thinking about that when i was going for my bike ride tonight like going back to like how many years ago all this stuff was like i don't think i don't think any of us would have been thinking about like 25 years ago like like going back now and like doing these interviews and like now these guys are putting books out and like there's like actually people that like care to know about like the history of our little scene that we were a part of you know it's just cool to think that like you know there we, we had a little a little a little thing there that people still to this day like talk about you know sure man it, yeah i mean it was it always felt important to me but i assumed it was just important to me because it was me who was doing it you know and i just have a, a collector mentality so i have a huge stack of old flyers i you know I, I tried to just keep all of that shit that i could you know but yeah without actually having it out and going through it and most of the year is not marked on any of that shit anyways like somewhere between 1996 and 2001 i definitely did that and it was fun <laughs> i'll tell you that and, and you and you talking about the collector's mentality uh this will obviously be an audio episode where people won't be able to see the video of the room that you're sitting in but you have like a pretty vast uh collection of hardcore and punk records behind you and ben keith was even telling me when i was telling him uh, earlier today that i was interviewing you he's like man that'll be really cool because kevin's got like an encyclopedic knowledge of, of punk and hardcore um so how like how long have you been like have you been collecting records since the very beginning and like how many do you think you have at this point oh yeah definitely since the beginning i mean early on it was more my i mean my dad gave me his old record player when i was maybe 16 which would have been 96 ish um and so i was buying records that early heavy metal records in freaking webster new york 
Um, what I get there, my first punk records I ever got, the Exploited War Now EP, which is like weird mid-80s Exploited. That's like not the prime shit. And a weird, same thing, GBH mid-80s album. And fucking the shitty Sex Pistols live bootleg that sounded like garbage, you know. But I love them all more than anything. It was like a very, I don't know, to me that was like a weird path that I'm still feeling the repercussions of because, you know, it was like pre-internet and all that bullshit, as you know, so it's like what you found out about punk, especially before you had other friends that were into it, was just like what you fucking stumbled across. And for me, I would only buy like used records, you know, so it's like I'm not going to put $20 up for the fucking first black flag when I can get this fucking other black flag record for 19 for you know for like two dollars but it's like it's little did I know that like not all black flag is the same you know and it just sends you down weird paths like this freaking you find so many of the mid 80s records by bands whose first record is like killer crucial hardcore but by their third record they like or an alternative band, or a crossover band, or some other weird mutation of punk rock, you know? <laughs> it, it just led down some funny paths. And some bands that, like, I didn't go back to for a long time, because I was like, no, oh, man, that band blows. But then you hear, like, the right record, you're like, oh, wow, holy shit. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because, like, I don't listen to as much, like, straight-up hardcore punk as I used to. Like, now I'm more into, like, the like the New York hardcore type stuff or whatever, like the more, you know, like the, the moshier stuff. But I feel like in recent years, you haven't seen as many bands kind of do that thing where they would do like a, a couple hardcore records and then they would do like a cock rock or whatever album. Like you don't, you don't, you don't see as many bands like crossing over now like you used to, you know? Like you, oh you, no, no, not at all. I mean, not, not the way they did then because, you know, like metal was the huge shit back then. So they would crossover from punk to metal or maybe they were fucking wise and saw the fucking uh, alternative shit coming up and they cross over to that but now you know if anything it's gonna be a punk band that's gonna get more poppy you know like a fucking i don't know i don't i don't all my examples are gonna be old i guess you don't see that a lot but you know even like in the 90s you'd see somebody like anti-flag whose first record they're all mohawks and shit and then a record or two later they're all on fucking jimmy kimmel or some bullshit wearing suits and ties you know yeah i've seen pictures of them in recent years and it's crazy to see them like kind of quote-unquote normal looking um compared to how they used to look or whatever you know um it is but i was talking about i mentioned that randomly to my new drummer adam um and he knows that dude, Justin, from that band, and he says that guy's, like, super cool. So I ain't trying to talk smack. <laughs> just, like, as a kid coming up, it's like you go from Mohawk punk to fucking corporate punk. It's like, you lost me. You lost me. In yeah. the 90s, yeah. you fucking lost me if that happened. I don't care yeah. as much now. Yeah, I never cared for the, the commercialized punk stuff either. Um, I guess one other thing that we were that, that kind of came up during the dense era which will kind of lead into your next band was we kind of forged a good relationship um especially you guys with like the oleon people um and more specifically i guess ryan capaletti with his you know punks before profits and everything else that he was doing um and then that would lead into your next band um because he had i don't know if that's when he when, when he, while he was living here 
you guys ended up doing War Squad, or if that was something where he was driving back and forth while you were doing it. Like, like take me back to that, to that era, I guess. Yeah, no, he had moved up here. So, I mean, Ryan obviously was a huge, huge personality in our state's punk rock bullshit, at least the left half of New York, you know. And Olean, a tiny shithole town that nobody rightly should have gone to to play shows one one fucking dude like he'd start he cared enough and he fucking had enough nuts and guts to like put it together that he made an awesome fucking scene there obviously it's not only him but i mean he was the one booking the shows and bringing the bands in and a town where nothing there is to do yeah it really took off you know it's like you could play buffalo syracuse Rochester and Olean is like in any other uh, categories, Olean would not be on the same map as those. But that place really was an awesome place to play, largely in part to Ryan. And so while he was living there, he had like a punk house there that the guitar, the eventual guitar player for Joe ended up crashing at, I think hiding out from the cops as a goddamn juvenile delinquent. And that was prior, you know, and that was like in dense days where we would go down and play there. But a couple years later, they, both Joe and Ryan, moved from Olean to Rochester. Not together, you know, separately, but they just kind of like ended up in a new city and they're like, oh, wow, holy shit, you again. So they started jamming. And Ryan had known me from the dense. The dense had broken up kind of. I don't remember the real reason, but it's most likely it's because we all went to college. Bulger at that moved to uh, Buffalo. I was going to college in Canandaigua. Rob was still in high school, but he had already, he was already done by that point. Rob's last show was the uh, <laughs> Punky's Not Dead Fest <laughs> on Wilcox Street with Against Me. Uh, for those that are unaware, Wilcox Street would be the house that I grew up in, and and against me did in fact play in my basement, uh, night the summer of 1999, and that's actually before we dive any further into War Squad. That's another interesting point uh, that I was thinking about before too. Rob had so he was still in high school at the time too, and he mm-hmm. he owned a he owned a skate shop in Webster, right, or something along those lines. He did, yeah, right next to Heavy Metal Records where I got my first punk rock records, which was super weird. Yeah, I don't I don't. I don't understand what was going on in that family, but somehow he convinced his parents that it was a good idea to back him on the skateboard shop in the village of Webster. I don't remember how long it lasted, but I mean, it lasted a while, you know, and it was obviously like, I don't know, I guess he just worked there after school for a couple hours or something, but there's a little spot to go hang out between the, I mean, that was that was when that place was booming, man. Heavy metal records, old skate, old church skates, and then Maria's, the kick-ass Mexican joint. That was a good spot in Webster. <laughs> yeah, I was always just so impressed by the fact that you had this teenage kid that owned a skate shop out there, though. I could never... I, I didn't believe it at first. I was like, there's no way this kid has his own skate shop. I just thought it was so crazy, you know? It was crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if his parents just... I mean, I've been to his house a couple times. They didn't seem, like, excessively rich. They seemed kind of, like, regular middle class. So I don't know if they just were trying to teach him some lesson in economics or <laughs> I don't know what the hell. He somehow convinced them that yeah. they were going to get rich at skateboards. 
it was it was cool man yeah it's definitely yeah. a thing most kids don't have yeah um so i guess diving back into war squad um and, and kind of connecting something else you had said earlier that was kind of that's kind of funny is, is you we were talking about bands that would like well one good example is like ssd like ben keith bought like a later ssd record when he was when we were younger and it was like holy shit and you, you, yeah, know, you don't realize yeah. they you don't realize that they had like like other good records or you know that they did but you just don't want to go back and listen to them and another band that i had i don't know if it was a compilation cd or what it was but they have like some good stuff and some really bad stuff it's another boston band and war squad kind of covered one of their songs uh dys i, yeah, I remember you guys covered wolfpack and would you change the words to war squad or whatever yeah, yeah, we sure did. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. DYS did that. But a lot of those Boston bands changed, man. Yeah, I mean, whoo. I mean, comparing the first SSD record to yeah, if you get like the last one, you're like, holy, holy shit! How is, how is this that band that I heard was so awesome? Yeah, yeah, man. And that shit can fuck. I mean, for me, if I was like 16, and I fucking saved up for a couple weeks and bought this record by this band. And it fucking sucked that bad. It's like, it took me years to come around until I fucking like gave them another chance, you know? Unless like one of my five other punk rocker friends had the good shit, you know, and could show me because you just didn't know. And I mean, every, every goddamn record was a gamble. You know, you'd read about it in a magazine or in fucking the thanks list or somebody's shirt and be like, well, I'm gonna check these fuckers out. But it's a gamble, you know, and if they fucking burn you, it's like I'm not buying your record next time, SSD. Damn it. <laughs> but later you find out, holy shit, they got some killer shit. It's just funny, man. Discovering it, because it's so different now, you know. It's like it just really sent me on a weird path where I ended up like I'm 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 okay with a lot of those records now. Now I like kind of I can't I kind of dig the fucking weird third record that technically should blow, but it's like I can get down with some of that. I don't know. That's what I was gonna ask you too, because a buddy of mine when I was at his house years ago, I I was like laughing because he had the crappy, like Warzone did like a rock and roll like a cock rock record in the late eighties too. Oh yeah, yeah, that record's bad. Like, do you have any of those albums like in your collection of any of that like any of the hardcore punk bands that ended up going to rock, or do you just kind of stick more to the to the hardcore and punk uh, some stuff. of them man you know i don't know you gotta be picky with that like that that warzone record's pretty bad so no no <laughs> i don't got that one but uh and the third ssd record i will not get the second one is kind of halfway between and i can i can get down with some of that i don't know i feel like some bands did it more tastefully than others like gang green another boston band fucking they went more rock and roll and a little metal-y, but they did their own kind of weird crossover. And I can get down with almost all the gangrene shit. I think those guys are fucking kick-ass, you know? But uh, even even their weird fucking awkward middle albums or even, a lot, you know, the awkward GBH records, I can get down with still, but I don't know. It, it just, I have to, I take it band by band. I, I definitely got some fucking ones in here, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's got to have a couple jams on it, or hell no. I mean, I'll uh, sell that fucker and get a good record. Um. So I guess before we dive into UV Rays, um, with War Squad, did you guys release any actual albums or anything, or is it mostly just like demos and like playing like shows around here and stuff? No, man. War Squad did some shit. War Squad was like actually a pretty awesome time. 
Um, you you probably would have dug that time, man. I kind of I it was fucking pretty wild because like we had got into a certain point where like I don't know that just like at the time of War Squad there was like a ton of new fucking kids filtering in that were like a couple years younger that were fucking super into it, you know. And you had the obviously the drop off of like the original fuckers, and by that you know I mean our crew. Obviously we're a the fucking tenth crew in a long line of fucking crews and phases of Rochester fucking hardcore. But you know from the dense days to War Squad days, it seemed like there was a ton of new fucking kids, and they were fucking excited. And War Squad was like faster and harder than the dense. Um, it was still kind of the same thing. I mean, early 80s hardcore punk was our shit, but I guess more so than the DC side that Dents were coming from, we're more like uh, the California hardcore shit, you know? And like the early skate rock shit and uh, that kind of stuff. But with me on a huge fucking like accused cryptic slaughter fucking uh, crossover kind of fucking trip. And those shows were wild, and and we did really good, man. Those that those were fucking good times. We we always got a good fucking crowd, man. We we did put out a seven inch on Ryan's Punk Before Profits label. Um, we were supposed to put out a second seven inch, a split with this band Cyril from California, but fucking Joe, our guitar player decided to fire Ryan, the bass player, who also owned the record label. So when once he fired him from the band, our record got canceled. But we still had those two songs that me and Joe ended up recording, just the two of us, and we had the dude that was recording it, Glenn from Buffalo, who's Glenn Szymanski, fucking kick-ass dude. He did the drums on it. And those songs are badass. Maybe one day I'll put them out on something. But uh, that shit was wild, man. Those days were fucking wild. Like, we... I feel like War Squad... Even the Dents had good crowds, but I, I feel like the War Squad days, the crowds were wilder and crazier. Um, I just feel like there was more of them. And, like, I don't know. It was, it was, it was exciting. There were crazy days. But, yeah, all we did was that... We did a demo tape and a 7-inch and a couple comps Ryan put out on his... A couple 7-inch comps had some of our shit. Now we're taking a break to listen to two songs by War Squad. The songs are called In My Rage and World Police. Cause another day's a 
distribution was a big one too oh, yeah. um i feel like there's a couple other ones but that's i think that's, that's another thing that's probably gone by the wayside at this point i mean i guess there's still a couple labels that kind of distribute stuff but it seems more like now you just kind of buy stuff straight from the band or i mean a lot of times i'm guessing people just stream stuff now too you know um, yeah man i think so but man sound idea yeah that shit was huge for me i, I would buy from him all the time his prices were good he had like he had like those five dollar fucking shitty shirts he was making, man. I got I got a ton of shit from that guy. He was cool, man. Where are you on the whole streaming thing? Being such a person who has all the physical uh, music behind you, obviously. Like, do you do you do like Spotify and stuff like that, or not, not so much? I literally just learned how to use Spotify, or just I guess tried to actually fuck with it in the last month or two only because I'm putting this new record out with my new band and like now you got to fucking put it out digitally so I'm like well what the hell is Spotify and how do you put your music on and then how do you make people listen to it once it's on there so I just I just started fucking with it in the last couple months um I don't know I'm I I'm not I mean fuck that like I don't, I don't want to listen to commercials during my music. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I do not listen to that. If I'm in my house, I just listen to my records. Um, if I'm in the car, I usually just play shit off of my phone. Um, but not like Spotify, just like shit I bought or downloaded. I, I got a bunch of digital shit too, you know? Um, so I usually just play a mix off my phone in the car, but in the house no only physical media because that shit's the best i mean it's convenient to fucking stream something if you're fucking in a bar and want to show somebody a song or fucking email somebody a link and check this shit out but if i'm at my house a record sounds way better yeah to me yeah no that's definitely true um i got more back into vinyl the last couple of months but i definitely don't have i i, I probably would have like a little sliver in the corner over there compared to what you have or whatever you know um because when i was traveling cross country when i was younger i sold a lot of stuff so i don't really have many of the records that i grew up on anymore which kind of sucks you know but it's one of those things where i always said i could go back and buy them again but now here we are like uh a little older and with kids now and stuff and it's not one of those things where you can just constantly like just drop money on old records now you know it's it's like you kind of yeah have to... man especially the 90s stuff a lot of i mean the 
independent stuff from the 90s isn't too too bad some of it but and they're just not pressing as many or some of the 90s records are really fucking expensive and stupid it's like yeah. Uh, yeah, it's i mean yeah i don't know if if i hadn't been fucking doing it all along i mean i then i definitely sold off big chunks and pieces over time you know when uh when you need to raise money it's it's a fucking quick and easy way to do it i'm i'm constantly fucking as much shit as coming into the collection i'm selling shit off too it's it's an ebb and flow that shall continue forever yeah it's definitely a fun hobby um, my girlfriend's really into vinyl too and I got back into like sports collectibles a few years back too so that was kind of like the same thing I would like buy and sell a lot of stuff and it's just it keeps you busy and it's just a fun hobby um, okay. was there any bands in between War Squad and UV Rays or did you just kind of start UV Rays uh, not too long after War Squad at that point they were actually at the same time um, I don't know I, I was kind of getting a little annoyed with war squad um i guess i was i was getting older and i was getting into newer stuff i wasn't really getting annoyed with war squad i still was into what we were doing but i kind of wanted to try some other shit too you know because that was really fast and harsher vocals and i wanted i was getting more into like 77 style punk rock and fucking Iggy and the Stooges and some of the proto shit and I wanted uh I wanted to try doing some goddamn punk rock proper as opposed to straight up hardcore punk um and so well War Squad was still going we we started UV Rays and that was with Mark Rapone who I don't remember I think he was playing in or had just quit from hell at the time. Pretty sure it was from hell. Um, with Rory, right? That was one of Rory's bands. So yeah. Sh- yeah. Mark was playing in that band, but uh, he was like the only drunk dude in that band, and they had just done a little tour, I guess. And I he he wanted to have a, I think a band with with more uh, people to party with. A, fu- a funner band <laughs> a less serious band if for someone in his mentality you know not saying one is better than the other but if you're uh if you're getting loaded and everyone else isn't it's not as fun as if uh everybody's being stupid with you i guess and i i was more than happy to get stupid with him um we met our bass player at a cramps concert he was wearing an MC5 shirt and he was at a Crams concert. We we're like, all right, you're in, man. <laughs> we just kind of, that was an interesting thing. And it was, it was a lot of new shit for me. I was singing in new styles I hadn't tried before, um, especially early on. It, it ended up a year or two in kind of getting a, a bigger hardcore influence, influence back again, more black flaggy gangrene stuff getting mixed in but like right when we started it was like really fucking 77 punky um and that was fun it was cool to do something different we played i think one show together uv raids and war squad and i remember barb from i object being like wow holy shit that was so weird that you sang both of those and sounded like a totally different singer for each band you know um but that's that's how you're supposed to sing for each band, you know. One was 
their different music. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, as I was getting more into fucking UV rays, I was kind of getting less interested in War Squad and letting Joe, the guitar player, kind of just, like, dictate how that went. And like I said, he ended up firing Ryan for I don't even remember why. Um, it was probably a bad move because Ryan was super nice and he was very into it and he was the guy with the van and he was the guy with the record label. It was like really shot ourselves in the foot. So after that, I was like pretty much checked out on them. We would kind of, we'd get back together once or twice a year for the next couple years after that and do cool shows. Like our last couple shows, we did a show with Fang and fucking... We, we did some shit with Noxious, which was cool, because I was, like, always super interested in the 80s fucking Rochester hardcore bands, too, that fucking, I don't know, they were, like, elusive. So when Noxious started playing shows again for a little bit, I was all psyched to get those guys fucking doing something with us. But well, here and there, we would do shit. But, yeah, we ended up dying off. And, uh, and UV Rays became my primary focus, for sure, for... For years and that was a fucking wild time man we were uh we're i i was like this is gonna be my band where i'm gonna fucking go for it and we're gonna fucking practice all the time and we're gonna tour all the time and we're really gonna fucking go for it but like we practiced all the time but the touring thing like wasn't easy we did a couple small tours but always somebody's fucking work or somebody's girlfriend or somebody and then people started making babies it was like fucked up all the touring so we ended up uh just staying and playing rochester a lot <laughs> i was gonna we, say that i mean we did do shit we went out to boston and played with gangrene that was fucking awesome and we played like buffalo and syracuse we're like more of a not a rochester band but you know like cleveland fucking this kind of circuit yeah, I played like, New York City and all that bullshit, but uh, not as much as I would have liked to. We really needed to fucking get out there more because that was really the era when bands were like fucking Municipal Waste and Annihilation Times and fucking Against Me and all these bands that fucking we had been playing with in basements fucking up their game and fucking started doing better, you know, getting bigger. And it's like I never had any fucking dreams to get on fucking television or a major label, but it would have been cool to fucking do a national tour, you know, and fucking get on a bigger independent label that fucking would distribute your shit a little bit better, you know? That was kind of my, my goals that we fucking failed at because we stayed in fucking New York. <laughs> but we were a pretty good band, man. That band was fucking good. I would say you guys did pretty well here, though, for sure, though, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in this city, I, I feel like we did everything we could, you know? I mean, we we sold out shows. We fucking were on the cover of the city paper. I mean, I can still come home now and fucking play a show and fucking with that band and we'll have a good turnout. It was... We, we, we did a good job, but I just kind of wanted one step more that we never could do because... I couldn't get the guys to fucking tour. The next band of Kevin's that we're going to check out is the UV Rays. We're going to listen to three songs of theirs. Those songs are titled Power Remains, Flip Out, 
and don't need nobody.
as we'll get to in a second. I guess you couldn't come home and play a show right now, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, we actually were supposed to. I was supposed to come home in fucking June or something, and we we're plotting a fucking show for then, but yeah, it all got canceled, obviously. Yeah. So, I'm pretty sure, the, if I'm not mistaken, the last time I saw you, you, me, and Mike Balsh were hanging out at Lux. And you were like, dude, I'm moving to Vegas. And I was like, holy shit, man, that's awesome. Now, did that have anything to do with the UV Ray splitting up? Or are you guys already kind of planning on breaking up at the time? Or, Well, no, we kind of died before that. Um, so we did like two seven inches and a CD. Um, we, what happened? I don't know. We, I feel, I guess we just like... We're partying too hard and kind of going in different directions. Like Mark, Mark is a guy that has phases to him, you know? And he got sick of like the 70s punk phase and we got a little more hardcore. And then he got sick of that and he, he, he reverted back to his mental self. And uh, he was just, he was getting sick of a bunch of the songs, any of the fucking uh, lighter songs that weren't hard enough, you know, and the other, and he was fucking, like, not receptive to other guys' song ideas anymore, and fucking, I don't know, I just thought people ended up getting pissed. Party Pat, who was the drummer in the dance, who was the first punk rocker I ever met, who was my best buddy, ended up fucking punching shark in the face in the middle of a show on stage right in the middle of our fucking concert these two break out into a fight and he fucking quit and then we went on a little bit without him we did a fucking session with uh, the equalizing distort radio show in toronto with mark only as the guitar player and we did like a whole live set on there War Squad did that show too. We got we got got, got live fucking shit of both of those. But anyway, I don't know. I just kind of fucking uh, petered out there after. I mean, after Pat left, it was like a fucking matter of time. I I ended up starting a different band with Lasagna, our bass player, called Red Hot Mess. That we fucking did uh, with this dude Brian, who was in Hounds of Hell. Hounds of Hell was fucking with Carl from Nobody Cares. Um, but Brian was a dude from Vermont that hooked up with those dudes and fucking we 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 played with him for a little bit. And in the in the I guess right there, I remember in the middle of Red Hot Mess, like after the fucking Ray's failure to tour, and we started this one with Brian, and we're like, we're gonna do this. And then, like, right in the middle of that, the big summer coming up, he fucking took a gig with a different band to go tour Europe. We're like, God damn it. <laughs> so then after that, I was like, you know, what what fucking ever. And I hooked up with this girl who is now my wife, and her old man had recently moved out to Vegas and got a job out of here. And he was like, well, I could probably get you a job, too. And I mean, I was working in a fucking kitchen making nothing. So I was like, okay. I was, uh, I had a couple ruts that I could uh, use shedding of, you know, and uh, 
not a hell of a lot going for me. So I applied for the job and they hired me and, and I came out here. Now, was the restaurant here? That was Sticky Lips, right? Yeah. Were you working there when Guy Fieri came in and did the did the show with Mike Balsh, or were you already out there by then? No, yeah, I was gone by then. That'd be I interesting. missed out on the fucking Flavor Town, man. It'd be real interesting to get some feedback on what it was like meeting that dude. I mean, I'm sure you, <laughs> I'm sure he met like the TV version of him, but it'd be interesting just to kind of get, you know what I mean, to see what that guy's like in real life. That would be interesting. I'm pretty sure. Nah, maybe it wasn't him, fucking. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Balsh has some fucking stories, man. Walsh didn't have a lot of bands, but I'm sure he would have an interesting interview of, of Rochester Funk and Hardcore, too. If nothing else, he's got a fucking kick-ass fucking toy and record shop, Barter Chom, that's worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, definitely check out Barter Chom Collectibles. That's weird because I never even knew you had it. My girlfriend and I, at the time, we, you never met before because her and I started dating after you, you moved away, too. Um, we were just walking down Monroe Ave one day, and that's when, I, like I said, I was getting back into like sports collecting and stuff, and I was like, oh, this is a collector's shop, which granted, you know, Mike doesn't really have any sports stuff, but it still, it was cool to go in there, and, and then I walk in there, I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize that, that you had a, a, your own shop, and I remember he had like a pretty killer vinyl collection, too, and I would always see him like at the like the record fairs and stuff, selling records back then, so yeah, he would definitely be somebody who would be cool to have on here to talk about like that era and, and, and just collecting and stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, he had, you know, he was, he had that, he had Edmond Street, which, I mean, Edmond Street was a a pivotal uh, apartment in, in the dense era of punk rock anyway, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he would have, he'd have some interesting things to say, but uh, Barter Town Rules, I think they moved on to uh, Empire Boulevard now, I haven't seen them yet. At their new place, but yeah, every time I go back there, I buy some some records for myself and some toys for my kids from that fucker. Yes. So then, uh, I think if I'm not that was what like 2009, 2010 that you guys moved out to Vegas then. Yeah, January 2010, I moved out here. Which is crazy that it's been fucking ten years now, man. It's pretty wild. It went kind of quick. It's been kind of awesome, though, um, in some ways. Like, obviously, I miss a lot of people. It was weird not knowing everybody because I'm not really all that outgoing, um, especially in my older age. But uh, so many of the bands that I grew up loving fucking play here that never, ever, ever fucking come out to fucking Rochester, New York, or even Buffalo or Syracuse or anywhere near there, you know, I've seen so many bands that I just love my whole life that'll come through here, especially like, you know, the odd fucking like D-grade fucking California hardcore bands. It's like, wow, I can't believe this shitty ass one seven inch mystic fucking records band is playing. I'm fucking pumped. Cause that, I love that shit, man. So I guess pre-COVID, like how often were you kind of like crossing like little random bucket list bands off like that? Was it pretty frequently or? Yeah, a lot, dude, a lot. Like, especially when we first uh, got out here, I was making a way better wage than I'd ever made before. It was just me and my girl and we didn't know anybody. So we went to shows all the time. Weird. I mean, there'd be like awesome punk shows of cool bands I never seen before. Fucking Red Cross, Shattered Faith, fucking 
you know, the tiny mid-grade bands, and plus, like, any of the bigger bands, like Adolescence, TSOL, all those bands play all the fucking time. And, that, I mean, so there's, like, the punk shows, and then there's fucking... I, I was just, like, going to shows of bands that I never went to before because it's, like, fucking... What, it's gonna be a forty dollar ticket in nineteen ninety eight in Rochester, New York. No fucking way. Am I paying forty dollars for a concert? You know, but now it's like, man, I can't believe I've never seen Judas Priest before. I'm fucking going to that, man. So we did fucking that. We did fucking anything that was mildly interesting, man. Butt rock shows, we went to fucking Striper and Tesla, fucking Ghostface killer, fucking like any anything that was fucking all over the board. Yeah, I, I seen tons of shit that I really wanted to see. There's still a couple that I need, but yeah, but that's the thing. Uh, even though I mean, I I wish I fucking went and seen Rolling Stones for forty dollars in fucking nineteen ninety eight because it's fucking two hundred dollar ticket out here. It's some bullshit ticket, but. That was okay when we first moved out here because our fucking expenses were low and my pay was like three times what I was making at a restaurant in Rochester. So I was like, whatever. It's, it didn't seem real. The <laughs> money was just like, whatever. But now we made a couple kids and I was not like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, not quite that free anymore. Yeah, things kind of tend to change once you have a, a kid. I, my girlfriend and I have one uh, child and, and even that's... I mean, it's been a blessing, as I'm sure you're, you're well aware of, obviously, but at, at the same time, it's like, damn, like, so much of this stuff, I just never really would have thought of putting into the budget before, and now it's like you kind of have to think about a lot of stuff, you know? And yeah, it's crazy. Obviously, this could change after, you know, COVID and everything, but, like, when you go to shows there, is it mostly a combination of, like, clubs, casinos, and, like, other stuff, or is it, you know what I mean, like? Um, Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, when I first got out here, it was, like, kind of a fucking weird scene, man. Like, they didn't – they have a, a, a real problem with fucking underage shows almost anywhere um, because of the gambling laws. Like, almost any goddamn bar has fucking little fucking gambling poker machines set right into the fucking thing. The gas station has fucking machines. The fucking movie theater has machines. Fucking the grocery store. Every goddamn place you go to has the fucking machines, dude. Um, so that really fucks up underage shows. Um, there was a skate park that was doing them for a while out here, but I don't know. It was like kind of rocky when I was first out here the first couple of years in terms of like fucking the mid-level shows you had like fucking house shows that were happening or you had fucking big ass danzig at a casino you know there was fucking nothing in between now they got they got a couple places that do that they got a fucking pretty sweet setup the the city's really gotten better in the last couple of years in terms of record stores and fucking places to play and just like having a goddamn actual real culture as opposed to a fucking plastic ass gambling town you know you gotta know where to fucking look for it you know it's not on the strip but it's definitely developed quite a bit and I mean even back to the 80s Las Vegas had a hardcore punk rock scene you know they had MIA was probably their biggest band that fucking 
put out an album, a couple albums on Alternative Tentacles, and they had they had they had a lot of cool '80s bands that I've learned about, and everything all until now. There's always been a scene, but like it's definitely improved in the last couple years from when I fucking first moved out here. Um, because there's a couple good bars now where you know I don't know. I mean, I seen I seen crazy shit out here, and it's fucking weird because they'll do them every night of the week. And sometimes you'll go see fucking a local band or some no-name fucking band, and there'll be a ton of people there. And sometimes you'll go see some legendary hardcore shit. I've seen fucking Raw Power from Italy, which I'm pretty sure I bought the fucking Raw Power Screams from the gutter reissue LP from you at fucking one of the fucking park shows, maybe in Brighton, and you gave me like a $2 discount. (laughs) Awesome. But they played out here for like me and fucking 30 other people. I was like, That's holy crazy. shit, if this band played in Rochester, yeah. the fucking place would be packed, you know? But they're playing in a bigger city and fucking nobody's there. It's like so weird, but. Yeah, so man, I love Yeah, so I've seen a lot of like obscure shit like that too. Raw Power and Radis and some fucking weird underground hardcore bands, along with all the big ones too, man. It's, it's there's definitely a good concert scene here. And. Even with our kids, we fucking have a, my wife's aunt lives out here. So she's like been an affordable and almost always available babysitter option. So we still go to a lot of shows up until this fucked up stupid year anyway. Yeah. Before we dive into your new band, with the whole gambling thing, like you definitely don't really strike me as the type of person who's like really into all that stuff. Um... Do you ever, like, find the urge to go play any any table games or any poker or anything like that, any casinos or anything? Or have you kind of always stayed away from it since the time you've been there? No, man, not, not at all. It's not really my thing. Um, when we first moved out here, my, my wife definitely was, like, into it, and we kind of had to break that habit after a little bit because... I mean, if you had, if you were going to win, all the casinos would go out of business. Like the whole, the whole point of a casino is to take your money because you think you're going to win. You're not going to win. I mean, and to be fair, there was at least a couple nights where we won a couple hundred bucks and we said hooray and it was awesome. But, you know, if you live here and you're a gambler, you're just fucking giving all your money away to some dickhead that already has more money than you. It's, it's not a good thing. If you come here on vacation and you think that's fun, like go for it. That's all right. But if you live here, you, I mean, it's not a good idea to be a gambler. I just don't have that shit in me anyway. It's like, what am I going to fucking give my $10 to the machine or to the record guy? I'm going to give it to the, or yeah. I mean, at the very least I'll buy a fucking beer. Cause I don't know. I mean, I don't, it's not my thing. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, don't, I just, I have a bad world view where I, I figure I'm probably going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> so then... With, weird spitting, man. Yeah. So I guess with your new band, that kind of goes back to what you were saying about, like, I don't want to say obscure, but, like, old hardcore punk bands from the 80s. When I was looking into that band, Suburban Sur- Resistance, that you're doing now, you got a guy from, from the faction in that band with you? Hell yeah, dude. Which is, to me, is, is still wild, you know? Because... Like War Squad, our guitar player Joe had the Faction CD in his distro, you know, that we would sell at every show. I bought that CD off of Joe, you know, and uh, we were probably 20, 
funny-ish by then, maybe. But anyway, I've been listening to them for a long fucking time, you know? And, like, I love those songs. When I moved out here, I was like, oh, the dude from the faction lives out here? It's like, that's crazy. I got to meet this dude. So it's super cool to be in a band with that guy, for sure. You know, just because when I was a fucking little dude, I was like, that's who we were listening to, you know? It's like, wow, that's crazy to be in a band with you. Like, even a, a couple of our first songs, he had written for the faction for, like, a 2015 reunion or something that never ended up happening or something like that. So I get to sing on those fucking things now, which is, like, you know, some kind of little fucking teenage triumph, you know? It's fucking cool. I mean, so, I mean, there's that, yeah, little fucking uh, record nerd fanboy in me that's like, I can't live on a band with this guy. But on top of that, like I talked about how Capaletti and War Squad was the guy with the van, the guy with the record label, the guy with the fucking connections that was booking shows and that kind of bullshit. It's like, Adam is that guy for our band too. He's got... He recorded like our whole fucking album like he used to have his own recording studio and so he's got like all the equipment he recorded the whole fucking thing he's got he's a great songwriter he's fucking nice and generous and uh he's been really good to work with for sure because the other dudes besides me and adam the other three guys are all dudes that have never been in a band before so it's like a fucking very weird mixture of fucking this dude that's been doing it since I was like three years old and me who's been doing it since the nineties and these three dudes that like were watching the shows, but never, never in the band before. So, so in that, in that range of two or three other people then you have a drummer who's never played in a band before. No, so this is the fucked up thing. Adam is the drummer. But in the faction, he played guitar. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was confused about. Okay. So, I guess when Adam first joined the faction, he was the drummer, but then fucking ended up a couple months in switching over to guitar. And ever since then, he played guitar. And he's a fucking kick-ass guitar player. And it would kind of be awesome if he was our guitar player. But it's also awesome that he's our drummer. Because he's fucking good at playing drums and our guitar player is good at playing guitar anyway. So it fucking works out. But uh, that was like one of his stipulations. He was like, I want to be the drummer. Like, I haven't played drums in a long time and that's what he wants to do. It's like, all right, well, whatever you want to do. Now, I know this came together like pre-COVID. Like, how did you guys all, all come together to start this project? Because you obviously hadn't done a band for a little while at that point. I hadn't, yeah. I moved out here you know and i didn't know anybody and then we made two kids and i was working this new job and i kind of like stepped away from from trying to even find a band like i said we're still going to see a lot of shows but i was like trying to not have a band for a little bit um my kids are five and seven now so they're still young but old enough where like, they're not going to cry if I'm not there to put them to bed every night, you know? And so we, it's okay if I do something one night a week and the wife, you know, has time to herself. That's good and healthy for an adult brain at some point after, like, six years of only baby stuff. Yeah. You know? Um. 
I forgot where I was. What was the question? <laughs> oh, like just like how you guys all kind of came together, like what, what like. Probably, oh, yeah. So you know. Tom, the guitar player, is the fucking one of the first dudes. No, he is the first dude in Las Vegas that acknowledged me as a human. That was like, I have seen you before. You know, because I was going to all the punk and hardcore shows because that was my shit. Like, when we, the night we got here, fucking Angry Samoans was playing, who I'd never seen before. And then, like, two days later, Agnostic Front played, and it was, like, a fucking awesome roll of shows. And I just, like, I'm going to all of them. That's what (laughs) we did, you know. We went to all of them. So you see the same people over and over again. And Tom was, like, the first dude that was, like, I keep seeing you. Who are you? You know, and was, like, introduced himself and was like a, a decent human to me and made me feel like because i don't know I, I just was not in the mood to like i wasn't in the mindset to go up to people and be like hi my name's kevin i just moved to town and this is my phone number if you want to hang out i like punk rock so we should be friends you know i just i couldn't do it i was like i don't know i felt like i knew fucking everybody in rochester and like not from trying, just because we had fucking been there forever and built this whole thing together. And eventually I knew everyone and I was like, not trying to, I don't know. I wasn't trying to meet people, man. But Tom was cool to me. So I knew him for a lot of years and he's one of the guys that never had a band before, but he's also that guy that is like front row center for every single fucking show, whether it's the fucking biggest bands and the punk rock festival or the fucking local bands. He's like at every goddamn show. He's just like that guy that is, you know, uh, what every scene needs somebody that gives a fucking supports, you know? And so I had kind of known him for, for a couple years, not from like straight up hanging out and chilling, but just from seeing each other at every show and getting to know each other that way. And he had kind of put out a thing on Facebook and to me at some show, I think it was Cro-Mags, the Harley version of Cro-Mags we were at. And I was like, so when the, cause he had a birthday party at his house where like he invited a, he had a couple bands playing his backyard, his 40th birthday party. And he had a ton of guitars. So I was like asking him like, when the fuck are you going to start a band? If you have a hundred guitars, you know, like, oh, I don't know. But eventually he threw out the call. He's like, hey, come down to my garage and let's try it. So I went down. It was just like him and a drummer. And we just did like a couple old Ramones and Dead Boys covers and shit like that. And it was fun to sing again. I hadn't done it. It was pretty much all songs that I knew. So it was cool. But I was like, I don't know if I want to like be in a cover band. That's not really my thing. Like, you guys want to make something new, or are we just a cover band? Because I'll just hang out with my kids, you know? But then a week or two later, he lets me know he got Adam from the faction came down and wants to be the drummer. I'm like, all right, well, I'm in then. (laughs) It's like, if Adam's in it, because I want to play with that guy. I want to fucking play with him for the reasons I said earlier, because I fucking used to listen to his band, and that's cool. And as soon as he and me were in the same room, it was way easier than when it was just me. It's like, dude, we got to write our own shit. We got to fucking do our own stuff. Because Adam is like fucking, he's on it, you know, and he's got a fucking clear path. He's like, no, we're not fucking going to play covers. We're not even going to play one cover. We're going to play only our shit. And we're going to start making our shit. We did it real quick. 
And that really happened like not long before COVID. I mean, we're pretty much a 2020 band. I think in December 2019, we got started. So almost all these songs were written this year. Um, there's a couple, like I said, Adam had a couple old faction songs he never used that we're doing. And I had a couple old songs that I wrote in New York that I never did anything with because fucking UV rays at the time, you could only, only Mark songs would fly, which Mark only wrote good songs. I'm not bitching about Mark. He was awesome and he wrote good songs and I love all those songs. But I just like never even tried to submit my songs because I was like, well, there's no way they'll do this. Those guys are, they know how to write songs better than me. I'm just a singer, you know, because I don't really play guitar. I, I can do it enough to like, if I hear a tune in my head, I can like kind of figure it out and show it to the guys and be like, hey, do this, but good, you know? And that's basically what we did with this band. So there's like three of my old songs and a couple of his old faction songs and a bunch of new shit. The last three songs we're going to take a break for are from the band Suburban Resistance. The songs are titled Anything, Don't Want None, and Can't Trust No One.
Now, did you guys get a chance to play any shows before the shutdown, or were you guys planning on doing that like when things get 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 started up again? We played one show. We played one show and just released our first album, which seems insane to me. It's like that doesn't make any sense. It's like we should have played like a year of shows at least, and then recorded when we're like fucking honed and fucking perfect. But that's not how shit's happening in 2020. I mean, you can't play anywhere. So, uh, and even when we did play our show, it was like kind of fucking like in the fucking question mark zone, I guess. Like I was singing with a mask on. It was like kind of happening but it wasn't like the full shutdown bullshit yet you know and we're like kind of like uh, i don't know if we should do this but we fucking did and uh and it was cool and from what i understand nobody died from it so all is well but uh yeah that's our only one we're supposed to play our second show july 25th for my 40th birthday but couple days before that the fucking uh bars and everything all got shut down which was fine because i kind of didn't i voted against playing that anyway because by then it was just like yeah obviously this is shittier than we all originally thought uh it's really fucking dragging on though i mean hopefully we can play another show before our second album comes out <laughs> we already got the next five songs fucking wow. ready yeah, it does seem like in this day and age, though, especially with how easy it is to record an album, that a lot of bands do put out at least EPs or LPs before they really get the ball rolling. Um, and one thing that I was telling my girlfriend about is how you guys already kind of have a bunch of videos out, too. And one thing that I really enjoyed in one of those videos, and I'm guessing you did it on purpose as a nod to Rochester, is that you have a can of, of Jenny beer in your hand in one of the videos. Um, is that easy to find out there? I, I can't imagine you can find Rochester beer that easily in Vegas. It was hard, yeah. Um, when I first moved out here, I couldn't. Then I found, like, one grocery store that would have fucking 12-packs. And then that fucking store closed down. And then I couldn't find any again for a while. And uh, But now there's the fucking the closest grocery store to me sells fucking Jenny, those dog games. But only the tall cans. Like, you can't get a six-pack or a 12-pack or fucking anything besides fucking 24 ounces of goddamn Jenny or Jenny Ice. Um, which I'm good with, man. I, I'll buy those fuckers all the time, filter some money back home, and fucking, uh, I don't know. I probably drink, now that i found that store that's close to me that has those, I probably drink Jenny more now than I did back home, man. You know, just because, I don't know why, just because. Yeah, it's funny. I don't drink anymore, but the last couple of years when I had been drinking again, I had never really drank Jenny before. And then I don't know if I was like broke or what, but my girlfriend just suggested it. She's like, you know, it's cheap and it's local. You might as well try it. And I mean, it's not like a fucking, it's not the best beer in the world, obviously, but it's a good cheap beer and, and it's local. You know what I mean? Obviously now. It's like fucking pretty much everything I want out of a beer. It's like the kind of beer that if it was in a cartoon, it would just say beer on it. You know, it's like, it is beer. It's not fancy. It's not craft or custom. It's just like regular shitty American beer. And I'm okay with that, man. I don't mind it. Yeah. And that's I what I was going to say. I like all the beers. I like the fancy bullshit yeah. too, but like, 
I can get down on some regular ass beer, man, and that's what Jenny is, so I'm good. I'm, I'm good with that. Cream ale, man, I can't do no cream yeah. ale. I never had the cream ale, and it's just funny because, like you're talking about the fancy beers, like it's just crazy to see like how many of those. It seems like every every suburb or every town now has its own brewery now, not just every city. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how it is out there. But out oh, here, yeah. there's tons of them, man. Yeah. It's really a, a strange new culture that's popped up, you know, in the last decade or less. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's probably at least fucking 10 or more in our city. I don't know. And I remember one of the last couple times I was back in town, the party pat, my, my homie, first punk I ever met, fucking uh, took me on like a weird little tour and we fucking went to a fucking bunch of different breweries there's like one in webster where it used to be a fucking used to be like the chinese food place that we would get food from when i was fucking seven you know and now it's a goddamn brewery and like anyway i don't know it's all good i like beer but yeah it's weird they're fucking popped up i don't know i don't understand it i don't know i mean to me i'll fucking pick up a shitty beer over an expensive beer every time unless there's enough cost difference and it's a high enough fucking alcohol percentage. Maybe, maybe I'll go for it if it sounds stupid. So I like doing stupid shit once in a while. Yeah, the the main time I was really into like the fancier beers was that that there was, there was like six months or I don't remember how many months it was when when I like I was saying before when I lived in Colorado, um, there was just like a shitload of good good beers and breweries out there. So it was kind of hard not to drink like some of the local ones i mean now like new belgium fat tires everywhere you know what i mean i mean they had it out there back then too but now they have it everywhere you know so it's just cool like that that culture it's weird how things fucking develop like that i remember being like super surprised how video game culture became like a culture instead of just like a thing that you did when we were kids like you know because like i fucking blasted off in the music direction but some people grew up in like their direction was video games and that's like the whole shit that they're into and it's like i never saw that coming just like i never saw fucking craft beer coming and it's all good i mean whatever you're into i like it and good for you and be into something and love each other and be nice you know but i just didn't i didn't, I didn't see it coming i was like oh, really but you know but i read comic books and that's just as infantile and stupid so that's another that's another thing too though the comic book thing like i mean obviously comics were popular when we were kids but like those movies just exploded in the last like 15 or 20 years you know like all the all the avengers and all that stuff and everything else and and then you have like uh deadpool where it's like a little more vulgar or whatever you know so it's just crazy to see like all the different like you're saying all the different cultures that are out there now that i'm guessing the internet has a lot to do with it too but it's just crazy to I guess so, man. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. I mean, like, if you find something that fucking you connect to that you're, like, really into, it's like, maybe you don't got enough time to be a fucking asshole out there and fucking be fucking some dickhead, like, protesting against the protesters. Like, no, fuck you, man. It's cool to be racist. Like, no, fuck you. Like, go play a video game, man. I don't know. Find find something you're into that's not going to fuck with other people. It's like, right. God hell's wrong with people right um so i guess kind of touching on current events a little bit obviously we've kind of uh danced around the covid topic a few times in this conversation um it's got to be interesting well not interesting but just uh different for you being in vegas 
in like in the middle of all this like I'm guessing was everything there shut down at one point or like with the casinos and everything or yeah 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 goddamn near everything was shut down for a bit um basically just like grocery stores and like that kind of shit being left open the casinos are back open the bars are not back open restaurants are open i don't know yeah it's it's kind of fucked i mean the casinos in a way run this town in a way you know not in every way but they kind of do you know because they bring so much money they're our number one industry and like so they kind of get some things that other places wouldn't that like a lot of people are like why the fuck would you have a casino open right now but i mean in their defense they also are like gigantic spacey buildings with like really good fucking uh, exhaust systems and shit like that as opposed to a dingy shithole bar that i might hang out at you know that has no fucking uh, airflow at all and just cigarettes and and drunk people you know so i don't know it's a it's a fucking dumb weird little town man but for me i've kind of kind of been digging it i don't mind it i mean i work from home now instead of going to the office which for me is huge it's like way better i get to sleep in longer and i pretty much can do the same goddamn shit once in a while i have to go in the office and grab some shit or fucking do whatever but working from home for me is way fucking cooler spending more time with the family has been way fucking cooler i got two little kids man it's fucking every goddamn second you have with them while they're little and still think you are awesome before they turn into teenagers and think you suck it's like fucking a killer precious moment that i will eat up every goddamn second of it you know so i mean and that's what I meant at the beginning when I said I feel like I've been lucky is that I have a job where I was able to fucking transition to fucking working from home and I didn't really get fucked the way a lot of people did. So fucking I feel pretty lucky for that. Um, my wife was out of work for a little bit, but after fucking four months or so she finally started getting a little unemployment for it so it's been all right i mean i don't i don't hate quarantine i definitely miss shows but it's nice not to go to work yeah i was out of work for like two and a half to three months i mean i, I luckily did get unemployment the whole time and, and that's honestly kind of how this podcast sprung up too was because i was stuck at home and i started digging I think a lot of us, were, well, I mean, you have everything out there already, but I have a lot of my stuff boxed up, so I kind of was going through my closet and just finding all the old flyers and fanzines, and I just started thinking, like, it'd be cool. And the, and the Rochester Hardcore History Instagram and the book that they're doing was definitely an influence on doing this, you know, it was like, man, we've had so many cool figures come and go in this area, you know, and then having all that extra time. Now that I'm back at work, I'm like, man, I have to, like, try to find time at work to edit these episodes, you know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, dude, that's fucking cool. I'm I'm glad you guys are pulling all this together, you know, because it's, like I said, I've been out here 10 years, you know, and I haven't really heard a goddamn thing about it for, for a long time. It's been really busy on the Rochester hardcore and punk front lately, and it's been cool, you know. 
fucking digging through all my bur- bullshit to figure out what's up for the book and fucking listening through your old stuff. But it's been really good, man. I'm, I'm glad you guys are all doing that. And it's just cool if something is coming out of this goddamn year, you know? So, I mean... A lot, a lot of people could mark it up as a fucking like shit year, but if people like you are being creative and doing this podcast, and I've made a fucking new quarantine record, and they're making a book, and people are being creative and like having the time to fucking sit and think about what is important to them and fucking documenting or creating, I mean that's a fucking huge plus that's gonna come out of this year that we may not even realize how much cool shit is happening right now for years to come. But I mean, there's a lot of bad shit going on, but it's definitely giving creative people a lot of time to create that they didn't have before. And that's in some ways a pretty huge plus, even if it's fucking a lot of us economically or whatever. Yeah. The economic thing is definitely worrisome. Like I, I work in retail, so it worries me, like, what's going to happen in a couple of years, because that was already a pretty pretty well-dying industry anyways, obviously, you know, I mean, obviously, there's there's other work that I can find if need be, you know, but it's just, you kind of build a, a little a little position there where you like, you're happy in your spot, and, and it's, it's, I've had a lot of jobs over the years, you know what I mean, I want to have to start all over again type thing, you know what I mean, so hopefully, hopefully. I hear you, man, I hear you, it's like, it's it's scary and weird you know especially on that front on the fucking live music front i mean who knows how many fucking good venues and fucking labels or whatever are fucking dead because of this you know cool fucking mom and pop shops there's definitely gonna be a lot of devastating losses and it's hard to tell what the fuck things are gonna look like when we come out of this whenever the hell that happens but yeah, I mean, we that's... We carry on and we shall survive somehow. That's the whole thing, though, is we don't know, like, when this is going to end. Like, I think a lot of us kind of... I mean, I even laughed it off before, like, you were saying, like, like before when it got really bad in March there, I was just like, man, shit, shit like that's not going to happen here, you know what I mean? Like, and then it's like when it first started happening, I was like, all right, I might be out of work for, like, a month, you know? And I ended up being out of work for, like, three months, and you're like, maybe things will be better by summer, you know? And now it's like we're almost in the <laughs> fall. You know what I mean? So it's just... Yeah, we're wondering if fucking you'll be ready. You know, because we're supposed to come back for fucking uh, Christmas this year, too. It's like, I don't know. Are you going to be able to fly by then? It doesn't seem like it anymore. I mean, it's fucking dragging the fuck on. That's for sure, man. It's fucking weird. I did not see this coming. There's definitely been, like, some distinct phases of this fucking... uh, this quarantine in this year, you know, it was so relaxed at the beginning. I was like taking breathing breaks and chilling out. And it's been real fucking busy though lately. Lots of fucking shit going on. Yeah, and I guess speaking to that, kind of another current event thing that happened the last couple of months was the resurgence of Black Lives Matter, which you kind of referenced a few minutes back, and you're and you're talking about like like idiot people uh, protesting protesters. Um, what are your thoughts on all that and kind of how has the vibe been like that with in Vegas and stuff like that? Man, I don't know. It's all over the place in Vegas, you know. Um, 
I guess, I mean, we had we had the protests out here too. They were not quite as violent as some of the other cities you see. For me, it's fucking stupid and it's goddamn heartbreaking that we have to even have this in the year 2020 that like, how the fuck is it that people still think the color of your skin has anything to do with if you're cool or not? I, I don't know. It's it's so dumb, and that's a lot of what our album is about, and a lot of what the new songs continue to be about. And suburban resistance is like just fucking disappointment in the goddamn human race, and fucking paranoia for the future because it's like it's really bad, and we should have fucking got over this by now racism should be like something in our history books it shouldn't be something that we're still dealing with it's like such a basic logical thing that's like how the fuck are you still thinking of that what kind of backward asshole seriously can judge a person based on how they look it's fucking bullshit and it's sad and i don't know that's that's my opinion on it and Vegas is like everywhere else in the country it's fucking you know people out in the street protesting and getting fucking fucked up by cops for it how dare you question I don't know I mean it's there's a lot of a lot of problems this country has to face and it just seems like we're going in the wrong direction instead of fixing shit. And I didn't always feel like that. I mean, I felt like George W. Bush was like the shittiest president we ever had. And it's just like War Squad's records were all about how much that dude sucks. And it's like Trump has fucking put that guy to goddamn shame. It's like, holy shit, I can't, I can't believe where this country is right now. It's depressing and fucking sad. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just crazy to see how everything's transpired for the last few years. And, you know, I've, I've, I've always kind of voted third party, but this year I do plan to vote Democrat because I just don't really want to get caught in the middle at this point. You know what I mean? Like, I, coming from punk, I don't really trust either one of the two parties, obviously, but I also don't want any more of these racist idiots like what we're talking about um in charge I totally anymore agree, dude i you know? fucking did the same thing i i was like i can't fucking vote for either of these dickheads there's no way i'm voting for trump there's no way i'm gonna vote for hillary fuck all of these assholes but it's like yeah i don't i feel like the same as you it's like i whatever i can do to make trump go away is the best thing i can do right now i don't think biden is cool at all I don't, I mean, and that's, that. I, it's all in, in the lyrics of all my records. They've all fucking gone along. I mean, the Republicans and the Democrats are not that different. And until we can have a third and a fourth and a fifth party in this country that, like, has a fucking chance, we're in a bad shape. A two-party system is bullshit. Yeah, that last election definitely. I, that was exactly what I said after that. I mean, I was I was I was happy that I voted for a third party, but at the same time, I was like, man, it's gonna be a long ways off before any third parties can really make any traction in this country to begin with. And on top of that, 
I just don't want a repeat of what happened last time. Like New York usually, you know, generally usually votes for Democrats, but the way things are going now, I, I don't. It's really hard to tell who's going to vote for who at this point, you know. So it's um, nuts, man. That's yeah. That's oh, man. It's it's just weird seeing people you don't expect come out as like, yeah, I'm going to vote for this fucking piece of shit. It's like what? I I, I don't know, man. That it kind of sucks having the Facebook and the internet and like getting to see inside some people's brains. Cause it's like, it's driving fucking people apart. You know, it's like, I would have liked it better if I didn't even know you thought that because like now you're fucking grossing me out, dude. Yeah. Social media has definitely fucked a lot of stuff up in that regard. Um, and what's crazy to me too I've, I've talked about this at length on here, so I don't go too crazy with it, but it's like we come from like punk and hardcore where we're like we're pretty well insulated and like we feel like we have the right values where most of us are like, you know, left wing, whatever you want to call it, but definitely not like right wing racist assholes. But then like you're saying, now you come to 2020 and we all have social media and you start seeing some and it's a small percentage, it's probably one percent. But there's people. Small, but they're out there. Yeah, man. there's people from our community. Like obviously, you and I both know people that aren't from hardcore and punk too. And I've definitely encountered people like that that have said a lot of really fucked up shit with regards to our current state of affairs. But it's 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 just really disheartening to me at times to find people in punk and hardcore that, you know, you start to hear their beliefs and their views, and you're like, man, who? Where did you learn this shit? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's scary. You know, like to think of what the next. So. Yeah, it's fucking, and you know, and the shittiest part is like, what the fuck can you or I really do? What can we do about it? I don't know what the fuck to do. This is what I can do. I can like raise my kids to be fucking cool, good humans that are not the assholes. You know, and I can fucking put in my vote that means shit you know but at least i fucking tried you know and what the fuck else can i do i'll fucking sing my song and put out my viewpoint and i'll raise my kids to be good humans i think that's the fucking most effective thing that we can do is fucking try to make better people because the world has so many shit fucking assholes right now it's and i'm i i I don't think any of us realized how bad it was earlier before before all this. I think it's gotten worse. You know, I, I mean, just like people are like feeling more free to come out and be like, my president says it's okay to be a piece of shit. And I'm going to fucking stand by that. Holy shit. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's fucking depressing. I, it's worse. It's worse. Than I thought it was. I knew it was bad, but it's it's worse. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand how people are st- still. I could even like understand how there was some people that like voted that way. I would never have done that. I knew that guy sucked, but I could understand you got fooled, okay? But now two years in, you're still behind this dickhead. Yeah. Then, like that's what I don't get. It's like what the fuck? What are what what's going on in your brain i don't get it man it's it's sad and it's scary because they're they're all over the place yeah yeah my girlfriend calls them all loud and proud and, and it's crazy because like they they weren't 
really as out in the open like that until this all this whole, this whole Trump thing. I feel like like there were some people, you know. But ever since Trump, it's like man, you you can and you can tell too. Like and I, and I don't I don't mean to stereotype people, but I can usually tell pretty quickly if someone is like a a, a Trump type person or whatever, you know. And I just want to get the fuck out of that situation immediately if possible, you know. Um, I don't get it, man. I don't, I don't, I don't fucking get it. And there's like, there's no talking to him, you know. And it's sad. Like I said, that's like, for the most part, you don't encounter those people. But maybe you do in your fucking uncle, yeah, or your mom, or your fucking, you know. It's like, what, what, what are you watching? How? Where is that okay? Yeah. You know, it's, people, I don't know. It's fucked, man. But oh. that's why I have a goddamn punk rock band so I can fucking yell about it and vent my shit instead of fucking bottling shit up like usual and just being a dick to good people because the world fucking scares me. You know, it's like, it's awesome to have a band again to be able to fucking put those thoughts on paper and then scream them at the top of my fucking lungs, even if it's just fucking at practice for now, you know, because it the fucking release of the fucking anger and uh, it's good. It's good for my brain and my body. And I can't wait till I can fucking spit it at people's faces again instead of <clears throat> In an empty practice space. That was an awesome, weird burp. <laughs> after it. <laughs> the burp was so deep, I like couldn't even talk for a <laughs> um, So one thing that you and I have kind of both uh, like talked about quite a bit in this conversation is, is like having kids, and you were just definitely tying it into the to the conversation we were having there with having to try to raise our kids right and to not have them be assholes like the people that we were just talking about. But I guess the main reason why I'm bringing up the kids again now is, is kind of like what you were just talking about with your band. Have you have you had any chances yet to kind of introduce any of your kids to any of the punk rock music at all? And and more specifically, have they heard or seen any videos of any of your bands? Oh yeah, dude, definitely. Fucking um, the kids have been to a lot of shows. The kids have heard all sorts of shit. Um, so I had this like pretty killer fucking concert regimen for my my first son Colum, who is uh, turning eight this year, which is crazy. But anyway, so when he was first born, his first concert was Little Richard. His second concert was Bob Dylan, and his third concert was supposed to be Lou Reed. We're going 50s, 60s, 70s. We're gonna ease him into punk rock. But then fucking, we had the tickets for Lou Reed and everything, and he fucking up and died on us like a fucking bastard before our concert. So that was sad, and it threw off our timeline a little bit. But he's been to every single goddamn punk rock bullying festival. Fucking my kid, when he was like four, saw Discharge. My kid's seen The Addicts. My kid's seen The Adolescents. My kid's seen Youth of Today. My kid has seen fucking all sorts of shit. My kid saw Agnostic Front. My kid saw fucking all sorts of cool bands for sure, man. Now, some of these he was like one years old for and like doesn't remember. Like fucking 
when he was probably one or two. Monkey from the Attics, the singer from the Attics, like picked him up and had him on stage and was singing with him. Fucking, uh, what's his goddamn name? Not BB King. Fucking, uh, can't think of it. He was at, he fucking sang at, at Buddy Guy, Buddy Guy. We, he seen, he sang into the mic at Buddy Guy. Buddy Guy came up to him and like let him, and like he was just a baby, like, blah, blah, blah. it was fucking funny, you oh. know. And, He's so he's seen all sorts of shit, man. He was at Lauren Hill. He was at fucking Flaming Lips. He, he's, I mean, all sorts of shit for sure. And I mean, way more punk and hardcore than usual. And like I said, like it's weird with the fucking uh, all ages shit. But the Punk Rock Blowing Festival is a three day fest they do out here every year, except for this year. And he's been to every single one. So he had actually, since he went, to the first one before he was one he's been to like fucking eight years of that fucking thing in a row and he's like my wife would like always put it like a little mohawk up on him or fucking spike his hair or something and we had a little fucking cool patch vest for him so like he'd always get his picture taken there and he's in like their 20th anniversary book you know so he's he's seen like all sorts of cool shit and like around the house we listen to all sorts of cool shit too. My main shit is punk and hardcore, so I mean they 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 hear all of that stuff, but I mean like I said, I mean we listen to fucking Wu Tang clan, we listen to fucking tube and throat singing, we listen to the blues and we listen to folk and we listen to punk and we listen to hardcore and we listen to metal and it's like fucking I want them to hear it all, you know. For the first couple of years we kinda like we're trying to ease up on the stuff with lots of uh, swearing, but I don't know. I mean, I kind of got to a point where it's like, listen, dude, you can't say those kind of words at school or to your mom, but it's like some people think those words are bad, and I don't really understand why fuck is a bad word. I don't, I don't get it. It's like I'm not going to be like, that's a bad word because I don't understand it. I use, I say fuck a lot, you know, and it's like, I don't want, you can't say fuck to grandma and you can't say fuck at school. And I would prefer it if you just don't say that because people, it hurts their feelings. But personally, why? I don't know why. Why? Who the fuck decided that was a fucking bad word? Fuck that one. It's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that one we have to trace back many years back to the early, early society. Um, yeah, you know. We have a two-year-old son uh, named Hendrix, too, which actually the interesting thing is his name is Hendrix Richard, so that's HR. Um, so, um, but yeah, I've tried getting him into some punk and hardcore. I mean, he's only two, so he doesn't, he prefers to listen to, like, Elton John and um, a lot of a lot of Disney. Um, it's, he has, like, I'm sure your kids are the same way. He goes through, like, a month phase where he'll want to hear the same shit every, every like, day, pretty much. Like, it was, like, Aladdin for a little while there, you know what I mean? And, 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 and it'll, it's always interesting because he'll go back to stuff, and I'll be like, oh, you remember that, you know what I mean? Like, and, but there was a, a there was a couple weeks there in the beginning of the quarantine where I was playing, like, Crow Mags and Bad Brains for him, and one day he even said, like, Crow Mags, and I was like, I, yeah. I, I was like, I doubt you really like this stuff, but I'll play it for you for 30 seconds until you ask for the Elton John or Stevie Wonder song that you really like after, you know? 
But you so. gotta ease them into it a little bit, man. You know, like my kids took to the Ramones pretty, pretty early and pretty easy, you know, because it's fucking fun bopping around music, you know. Um, and they're singing instead of yelling, you know. I felt like uh, I took another couple years before my kid was like into the straight up yelling stuff, and then by like maybe five he was like dad put on the crazy stuff like, he only wanted to hear like you know death metal vocals or super harsh hardcore vocals you know and now at this point i mean they're 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 kind of they're kind of all over the place the first song my kid ever sang to me my son was uh waiting room by fugazi wow. we were in romania in a fucking weird ghetto ass car wash. <laughs> and like I would whenever he would cry, like he always wanted his mom and I'm like, dude, mom's doing something. You're with me right now and we'd sing fucking I am a patient boy and try to get him just to wait, you know, and that's that's the first song he ever sang to me. Fuck yeah, it's funny man. You were in Romania? Yeah, yeah. My little sister was adopted from Romania, so like we took this trip back there to try and find her roots. That's that's a whole nother story. That's a long story. It was a fucking epic adventure for sure. It's cool. Yeah, I can only imagine that that that, that was a like little the... dude, you know, he was tiny. He was he was probably around around two ish then. Maybe no, probably not quite two yet. That was your whole your whole family went then? No, just me and my wife, my son, because we didn't have my daughter yet, and my sister. And she's like 11 years younger than me wow so yeah it was a fucking trip man we went to the fucking transylvania and fucking uh we met her grandma and her mom who she never met before and fucking uh we saw some medieval castles and fucking took this crazy fucking river adventure and drank some moonshine with some weirdos (laughs) that we couldn't understand what they're saying it was good did you do any like punk or hardcore related stuff while you're there or is this more like a family type thing? I couldn't, man. I was looking for it. Um, I was looking for it. I, I mean, every, every there, I mean, the only like large city we were in was Bucharest, their fucking, uh, their main city. And, uh, I, I researched before we went there and I asked around when we got there and there's like, no record stores there. I did find like some flyers, like fucking posted up for like some more metally looking shit that I like took pictures of because it's like there's something going on. I know there's this one killer. There was at the time anyway. I don't think they exist anymore. There's this good Romanian black metal band Negro Blugit that we used to listen to. Um, but no, I mean I didn't I didn't see any shows there. Fucking, it was like kind of a whirlwind trip. You know we fucking. I don't know, that's a whole nother story, dude. That shit, that shit was crazy. There's too many details. <laughs> Can't get into it. No, but no, I didn't. I didn't find any good stores or any shows or anything. It was like a fucking wild adventure to find my sister's mother that she never met. Yeah, no. Stop it. Where fucking Dracula was born. That's yeah, that's that's pretty cool, and that's actually an interesting segue to what my next uh, question was going to be for you. Um. And it's not really related to that, but it's a crazy type thing. Like, what are like, what do you think are some of the craziest and funniest memories you have from all the years of, of going to punk and hardcore shows, as well as obviously playing? I mean, obviously you mentioned uh, Pat punching 
mark in the face. That's got to be pretty high on the list of crazy shit that you've seen. But, like, I got to imagine that with the pretty crazy punk scene that we've had in Rochester over the years, you've seen some pretty interesting uh, stuff happen over the years. There's been some, yeah, man. You know, it's, like, probably forgot as many good things as I remember, but... I, I guess, so the day before Dent's tour, we played with Bad Acid Trip at some fucking lodge somewhere. Those guys earlier in the day came to our practice at Bulger's mom's house. Um, and they were older and they were like weirdos, you know? And, uh, and I mean that in not a bad way, because I like weirdos. Um, but so Party Pat and them dancing around to the song I Know What Boys Like in Pat Bolger's <laughs> mom's driveway was pretty funny. And then at the show later, the singer from them, like, fucking singing to the normal humans at, at the park was funny, man. Freaking War Squad did a good municipal waste show where we got a circle pit to go around the outside of the lodge. Like, while the band was playing, like, everyone outside did a circle <laughs> pit around the outside of the lodge instead of inside. That was funny. Um, who was it? I remember James peeing on somebody's face when they were passed out after the virus show. I think it was Eric from Steadfast. A lot of people, a lot of people got peed on back in the day. I know that, uh, there was some peeing going on. What was that European? Cause that punky, I know he got, he got peed on. I don't know if, I don't know if we want to mention who, if we want to say the person's name, who peed on him or not, if you remember that or not. But that kid, I didn't like that kid. Cause I was on like the hardcore and straight edge shit back then. And he was just kind of like this drunk, like punk, like foreign exchange student that kind of annoyed me. And he was like, he was like, I'm Monroe Ev, And I would hang out with all those guys. And I'm standing there, and he says some dumb, drunk shit. So I just literally turned to him. And again, I'm not going to say the dude's name. Ah, fuck it. I'm like, yo, I'm glad Ange pissed on you, dude. Fuck you or whatever, you know? And he legit looks up at me and just started laughing. And I was like, yeah, you know what? If that kid can laugh about it, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, and, Okay, man. That you kid know? was hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a lot of good poop and pee stories. <laughs> me and fucking Luke Guido who, uh, he played with the Eversets for a while. We always used to, like, whenever we'd leave Spindle's apartment, we'd always, like, pee on random trucks and, uh, and cars in the parking lot there. <laughs> like, some dickheads. I remember Jonathan... I remember Jonathan's last name. He moved to Rochester for a little bit. Um, what was his band? He had a band, I think they were called Ass Beer. Um... <laughs> And then there was Alex that was in Blood Wolf in the end at some park show in Webster. And, like, Jonathan was, like, in a porta potty out front, like, taking a shit. And, like, Alex was, like, shaking <laughs> the thing while he was in there. So Jonathan comes out, pants down, grabs the brown paper bag off of his 40, <laughs> wipes his ass with it, and rubs it all over Alex's Oh, God. Uh, I, I mean, there's just horrible stories that we could spit out for a long time. 
But you know, those those were funny poop and pee jokes. I don't know why we got on those, but it's fucking awesome when Gangrene came and played town. They like came to my apartment and fucking partied with us. That was crazy. We got to play with the fucking weirdos and Murphy's Law and fucking you know, some of those shows with fucking Agent Orange fans that I always listened to since I was a kid that we got to play with and hang out with those guys were pretty special memories, you know, especially the weirdos. Those guys were cool because they were fucking old, you know, and definitely on that early punk trip more than hardcore, but they had some really thoughtful and uh, interesting things to share with, you know, because like I said, that was with UV rays and we were trying to like go on a 77 trip, you know, and he just like gave me some pretty good and interesting feedback, you know. They were, they were fucking cool. That's the best shit for me, you know, about all of it. I just like yelling and fucking releasing that energy and fucking getting into shows for free that I would normally have to pay for. I will say, too, and this goes back to our original part of the conversation with the Dents. There's probably only been one or two times in my life where I've heard, well, since then... There's probably only been a couple times where I've heard nothing by negative approach and not thought of the dents, you know, because you guys would play that every single show, you know. Fuck yeah. And and probably the best memory from that era from me, and again, it's not a band that I was really huge into, but that Violent Society show, I don't know if they played here more than once, but there was like, it was like August of like 98 or maybe 99, but I think it was 98. It was like you guys, The End, and Violent Society, and it was just like a shit ton of like punk people there, maybe a few hardcore people there like myself. And Violent Society just went up there and covered, like, Agnostic Front and maybe, like, Seven Seconds, too. And, like, you were talking about Circle Pits. You know, we were all just, like, moshing around Vertex. And that kind of shit was just... I hope our kids are into that kind of shit, you know what I mean? So we can just relive it again through them. Because that 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 was just such a fun era, man. We were teenagers. We didn't mm-hmm. have to have any responsibility. You know what I mean? Like, it was just... Yeah, it was just a, a wild expense of fucking energy you know just in the goddamn moment fucking a chunk of people feeling the same shit you do it was it was special violent society i feel like they did play at least twice they they were they were cool man they were fun and that yeah that was always cool you know i mean especially in the early days when out of town bands would come we would like never know if it was gonna be because everybody did at least one cover it's like they're gonna do something i know or are they gonna turn me on to like my next fucking favorite band that i don't know about yet i feel like it's harder for bands to do covers now because every single band has gotten back together and a lot of those bands are active now too you know like all these bands like when you and i were kids i never would have thought i mean i i, I envy you for i still haven't seen you to today but like judge um, Gorilla Biscuits, like all these bands that I never would have thought, like they might play in New York City for like a uh, like a special occasion type thing, you know what I mean? But yeah, now, but yeah. now, and like even in punk too, I'm sure there's been a million of those bands that you never would have thought you would have seen too. Um, yeah, yeah, dude. Which that actually kind of brings me to my next question, which I'm kind of gonna give it to you in two options. So I usually ask people if they could put together a dream show of like four to six bands, what bands would they be? But I'm also going to add the caveat for you that if you would rather just tell me, like, if there's still bands on your bucket list that you haven't seen yet that you want to see, you could do something like that, too. Because it sounds like you've seen, like, a pretty good amount of dream shows already, you know? 
There's, I mean, there's, there's still countless bands that I would like to see. Does this include dead people or only bands you can yeah. actually see? No, anything. Like, you, any era, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Like, there's just like a dream show of like four to six bands. No, I mean, bands that are still alive that I haven't seen that I really want to see. Rolling Stones, Tom Waits, The Pogues with Shane McGowan. Um, Jism, Jism. How about this? If I could put together a thing, fucking Ramones, Dead Boys, and Testers at CBGB's 1978. I wish I was at that show. Fucking like Rocky Erickson and the Aliens in 1979 with fucking like Keith Morris Black Flag opening 1979. I could get down with some of that shit. Fucking uh, rudimentary peni with fucking Gizm and like GBH and like 1982 1982 Bad Brains fucking 1983 Bad Brains right all the shit you hear about fucking how incredible Bad Brains was in the early 80s like I want to see that I seen Bad Brains a couple times I seen Soul Brains and I seen Bad Brains and they were both the same band but it just depended when you seen them but they were both like in like the relaxed HR era. I want to see fucking crazy ass HR era, you know? That, that would be fucking sick. And like, uh, and so maybe I'd put all of them together on the same show um, if I had a, a time warp and then like uh, Wu Tang would play as well. <laughs> that would be a festival right there. Wu Tang played Rochester twice. I don't know if you went to either one, like before they got back together. Like they played at the. We've we seen them. Um, they played at the warm. No. I was at one of them. I was, what the fuck was the name of that place? They played. They played at the convention center once, and they played at War Memorial like years before that. Um, yeah, it would have been the convention yeah, center. Yeah, that would have been like '97, I think. I almost went to that. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't that. go. Um, yeah, me and uh, me and Pat Dent went to that together, and Pat Pat got called a cracker. That's not. And Method Man fucking destroyed this hot dog stand, and Old Dirty Bastard fell off the stage. In the middle of his like first fucking solo rap. That's crazy. It was an awesome show. Yeah, that era, and that's something I've talked about at length on here too in a couple episodes. And it, and it, and anybody who's like our age now, like when they're when they're this age, would probably say it about their generation. But I really feel like the mid to late '90s, we had some ridiculous music coming out. Like not just with punk and hardcore, but you you had like Nirvana doing their thing. Wu Tang, Gangstar, like so many. I could, I mean, you you know from you know me back in the day how much I love like hip hop and rap. You know what I mean? Like I could talk about all the good shit that was coming out back then for Did hours you go on end. War Memorial show then? I never seen Wu Tang. They they played here. They played here like when they got back together. I almost went too. I don't remember why I didn't go that time either. The War Memorial thing. I think when they played there, I either wasn't listening to rap at the time or I just I had gone to see. Naughty by Nature and Cypress Hill and Black Sheep and some other groups in like 92 and they said it was like a firework being discharged but we all knew it was probably like a gun being shot off in the concert uh, and, and after that I was kind of turned off by going to rap concerts for a few years you know what I mean right. so I don't think I went to another rap concert again until 2000 when um, it was like Dre Snoop, Eminem Exhibit, Ice Cube like pretty much all the, all the West Coast dudes that I grew up on were all playing at War Memorial you know, 
sick, man. Um, yeah, man. With, I think Wu Tang was probably, and that was that was that '97 show. That was probably my first like big rap show, man. And that shit was fucking awesome. That's when Wu Tang Forever came out too. It was right around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right around then, man. So, but I mean, you're right. The the '90s were fucking weird for music because you had all of that. You know, and you had like this resurgence of of what they were calling punk rock with the Green Days and the Offsprings and the Rancids that were getting like a lot of new people filtered in. But at the same time, you had like bands that actually were from the early 80s, that hardcore scene that just got fucking weird, that were getting hits like the Meat Puppets and the fucking Butthole Surfers and fucking... Siv from Gorilla Biscuits had like all those fuckers had shit on MTV and Rollins and Danzig and all these fucking people that came from that early 80s hardcore scene had fucking big ass hits then you know and like if you fucking just took one of those tunes off the radio and MTV and followed its fucking string you know it was just like a lot of roots for a lot of new people to get into this kind of music and um, I assume both of us are, are, are two of them. Yeah, no, the, the 94 punk uh, re- resurgence is definitely what kind of got me into it. I mean, Ben Ben Keith and I were in the same homeroom together in, in eighth grade, so we would kind of just kind of feed off each other and introduce each other to a lot of different shit. Um, but there was some, oh, the Civ thing. Like, like Ben never really liked the commercial stuff as much as I did, but, but I really got into them hard around that time. They were so catchy. And then, like you're saying, with the string... Or the six degrees of separation, or whatever. You had that Civ album, which I, which on side note, I told you I, I got back into records recently. I bought that album a few months ago during the pandemic, or during the quarantine, whatever you want to call it. And I put it on. I put it on. My girlfriend's not like super into hardcore or anything, but she heard it. She's like, "Oh, a, a '90s all rock album or whatever." You know what I mean? And I was like, "This is a guy from Gorilla Biscuits," because she knows who Gorilla Biscuits are. Because I told her it's one of my favorite bands, you know. And she actually bought me that because I didn't have that on vinyl to start today. Um, and she couldn't believe it was the same same dude or whatever, you know. Um, but getting back to what I was saying, that that album, like I'm, I get into Gorilla Bi- or I get into Sid, which in- introduces me to Gorilla Biscuits, and then you hear Luke Lou from Sick of It All on that uh, can't wait one minute more, like Ben let down, whatever he's saying, you know what I mean. And then I'm like, oh shit, I gotta check out Sick of It All now. And another big influence, who I'm sure you you became pretty well in, into with with playing all these shows, for me at that time. Rob Filardo worked on Monroe Ave at like three oh, different yeah. spots, and I was like 14 or 15. But as you know, I grew up right off Monroe Ave. And for those people who are listening to this podcast, like Monroe Ave is right downtown Rochester. We he he worked at Record Time back then, and in a store called Funny Farm. And I would just go in there and talk to him about music for like a couple hours every day after school. And he would always like he would tell me about him and Bronze and Gorilla Biscuits back in the day. You know what I mean? He would tell me about all these different bands, and like. As far as I know, Rob's never really been huge into hardcore, but he's somebody who kind of introduced me to a lot of, a lot of hardcore punk bands. You know what I mean? And that and that was really cool. Yeah, because Rob never came off like that. Like he was into that, but he had to be at some point because he fucking knows all about it, man. And uh, it's especially, I mean, and he, he's good with that shit. I've I've talked with him a lot about that. His label, Garage Pop, put out the one UV Rays CD, um, and definitely I had known him a long time before then, even back in the dense days, like, the Thunder Gods that he was in was, like, one of the only bands from 
the older crowd that would come and play like those fucking Vertex all ages shows with us, you know? Because the garage, I don't, I, it was like weird when we came in. I felt like there was like a 80s and early 90s fucking Rochester hardcore scene, but it seemed like when we showed up, like we didn't see any of those bands. I don't know if there was like a fucking one or two year gap where like there was nothing going on or just like all those bands were playing bars now or fucking we just didn't know the right people is like fucking it it felt like we were building up our own shit you know and it like was a little bit before we like we're like oh there was older bands it's like fucking uh i always jumped at the opportunity to talk to those guys like fucking when i met lawn or fucking Falardo or fucking any of those guys that were around back then to try and piece it together i spent a lot of time doing that my years in rochester trying to find the old fucking punk and hardcore stuff because uh, it was fucking mysterious so it's super cool that that facebook group popped up and that they're doing the book and you're doing this it's like Cause I was always interested in that, our fucking lineage in that goddamn town, because there was shit going on. It's like, always blows my mind when I see the old flyer of fucking GBH at Scorgies or fucking Seven Seconds or any of these fucking bands that played. It's like, goddamn, I was fucking 15 minutes away being seven years old without a car. I should have been there. It's crazy to, it's crazy to think that like Operation Ivy played here. And, right? and and to think about like us being little kids then probably like in like second or third grade maybe and like what if one of us just happened to be downtown walking down the street that day with our parents and we walk by like operation ivy dudes not realizing who they were you know what i mean i always think about that kind of shit um i got like fucking pretty vivid memories from when i was like pretty young like probably as old as my kid now like seven or eight i seeing like at Darien Lake seeing these fucking punk rockers like straight up like mohawk studded leather jacket punk rockers and I've never seen nothing like that before in my life I was like holy shit it's like mom I'm gonna be like that when I get old she was like no (laughs) super unhappy that I even said that but I like clearly remember that was like the first time I saw someone that looked punk I, I remember that shit vividly I remember fucking the first time I heard someone tell me that music was punk rock and it was this a Christian band named One Bad Pig and it was like the only Christian punk rock band and I was like what the fuck is punk rock like, I like these guys in retrospect they're kind of punk rock but uh musically anyway but anyway I don't, I don't that, that shit fucking hit 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 me hard it just it was it was fucking uh what i was lined up for before i even fucking had a thought on it and uh, yeah to imagine those fucking dudes walking around you know and just a couple of short years later like we would have you know i must have listened to that goddamn operation ivy cd a million times when we were teenagers you know yeah like, we missed it by just a couple of years that shit yeah that's crazy no i definitely that that CD was in heavy rotation as well as those first couple of Rancid CDs or they were tapes obviously for me at the time because I didn't I didn't really get into buying CDs until the early 2000s um, but one other quick cool thing about uh, Thunder Gods dudes and a couple other dudes from that era and I'll probably talk about this more I'm gonna have Ben Keefe on here in like a month or two 
So we'll probably yeah. dive more into like Bob Barker and shit like that. Um, yeah. When we do Dude, that episode. I had to do a fucking Bob Barker edit on Discogs recently. <laughs> what? Yeah, because there's the fucking uh, the rock core tape is up on there. I found it when I was like researching for my submissions for that book. Um, and the rock core tape is up on there, but and Bob Barker is on the rock core tape. Who put that out? So that was put out by Alex, the singer from 17th Class, the drummer from War Squad. But he got those recordings from me. I totally blew You it. still got Bob Barker stuff? So you guys were on, like, fucking uh, one of the early uh, fucking comp tapes that you put out. On yeah. The other side, right? Yeah. So Alex came up to me at some point and was like, Hey man, I want to put together like a Rochester punk and hardcore compilation. What kind of stuff do you got? And he was a couple years younger than us, so like, yeah, I had a bunch of shit for him. I was like, well, you gotta have fucking Danny Down in the Syndromes. You gotta have fucking, you know. I so I gave him like a whole fucking half of a sixty minute of a ninety minute fucking blank tape full of shit, including Bob Barker and the Womanizers. And so I, somebody that had that tape put out Discogs, but they had it as fucking AF Battle Chant. It's like, no, no, it's the fucking AQ Battle Chant. <laughs> so I had this Oh, man. I totally forgot. But the, the, the funny thing is, and it's funny because AQ Battle Chant, uh, Aquinas is this high school I was going to at the time, and we played the other, uh, one of the other local uh Catholic high schools for our first show. It was like some battle of bands type crap or something. Um, but anyways, I wrote letters to. Um, I think I I don't know if I'm, I think I already knew Rob Flowers. So maybe I just told him about it. But I wrote a letter to Joe. I think his last name Tunis, who runs Carbon Records, and he played in Hilka at the time. I wrote I wrote them a letter and I was like, Yo, our band's playing our first show. It'd be really cool if you guys came and checked it out. And like five minutes before we played, I looked out and all the dudes from Hilka were there. And Rob Falardo and all these Thunder Gods dudes. And we're like 14, maybe 15 at the time. You know what I mean? So it's like all these cool local Seamster dudes are there to watch us play. You know what I mean? And we're like this really crappy punk band, obviously, you know? So those dudes, but what I'm getting at is like Joe and Rob and all those dudes were always really supportive of all different genres and all different kinds of shit. And it was cool... It was interesting to me and Ben because we were talking about this a lot. Like you were, I think you kind of referenced this before too. In like '95, '94 in Rochester, there really wasn't too much like hardcore or punk. There was a small amount, so like most people get into like hardcore and punk first, and then when they're like the age you and I are now, pretty much they get more into like the garage rock and like the the older like the bar bands. But we had to kind of do it backwards because that was the scene here at the time. Like my first show was like. Shop Class Squares, Nod, Mueller, Thunder right. Gods, you know what I mean? Like, because that was what was going on at the time. And, like, I, I think you were probably the same way. Like, if we had an opportunity to go to any show, and, and w- like, from age, like, 14 until, I mean, I guess even now, but especially in our teenage years, like, we went to any show we could. You know Hell what I mean? Yeah, dude. Hell yeah, and it was all cool. I mean, that's why you got fucking shows with Snaggletooth and fucking the Professionals and the Thunder Gods and fucking our shit, you know? It was like... And it was all fucking vaguely punk related or branches off of that, you know, but shit, man. Filardo was 
hugely important to the fucking music scene in Rochester. That dude fucking rules. Not only did he put out the UV Ray CD, like I said, but way before that, yeah, he was he was that first guy, and he was the link in the Thunder Gods, the one that was like, okay, sure, we'll come play with you. No, he was he was the one that was like. Do you, have you ever heard of this band? You know, he was fucking, that dude fucking rules, man. I've got so much respect for him, and he's gone through a bunch of bullshit, and uh, dude rules. I mean, Rochester would be a completely different city without that guy. Much love and respect to Fulardo. Yeah, I, I, I completely 100% agree with that. And it was crazy, too, because around that time, when I was in, like, ninth or 10th grade, he was playing drums for, like, all those bands. Thunder God, Shop Class Squares... Duke, Duke Galaxy, yeah, it was just crazy. Like there was at least a few, a handful of shows that I went to where I saw him play drums more than once. And that dude would like, he would like stand up and play the drums, and like you could tell he was like really getting into the music. And it's like, man, I can't imagine playing like drums in more than one band in in, in the same night, let alone being that energetic about it, you know. So, yeah, big shout out to Rob for definitely introducing me to a lot of stuff and, and like you were saying just for being the glue that, that held the city together for many years you know so i think from our discussion you're definitely somebody who kind of not to sound cheesy or cliche but you're somebody who kind of waves or carries the heart the hardcore and punk flag and banner pretty much everywhere you go um but like what are some what's that i said you're goddamn right <laughs> but what are some ethics from punk and hardcore that that have been like like you know, like, like really important to you that you use in everyday life? Well, number, number one, maybe not, well, yeah, number one, who fucking cares what any other asshole thinks about you or what you are doing? Who fucking cares? If somebody doesn't like the way you look, if someone doesn't like the way you talk, if someone doesn't think what you're doing is right, Fuck those assholes. They can go do what they want to do. Don't be influenced by fucking anyone else. Obviously, there's a good influence you can get, and you will fucking understand that cosmically. But if you're fucking going from your heart and doing what you believe is right, fuck what anybody else thinks. Do what you want to do. And I don't mean that selfishly. Like, don't be a dick. Don't fuck other people over. Don't do what you want to do like that. That's a fucking shithole thing to do. Fucking do what you know is right. What is right? Because what is fucking popular is not always right. And I think that's a super important thing that I've learned on this whole path that I guess is kind of why I took this path in the first place because I already fucking knew that. It's like... I'm not going to do what everyone else is going to do. I'm going to do what I believe in. That's, to me, a fucking basic core principle of punk rock. Fucking do your own shit. Do what is right. And I seriously mean that, do what is right. Because, you know, you can get in different fucking factions of punk and hardcore where people think it's fucking awesome to be scummy. And that's not awesome. Fucking... Be a fucking good human being. And fucking what society thinks is a good human being probably has some fucking flaws, you know, that punk rockers maybe don't have. Fucking support your local goddamn shit. 
do shit yourself. Don't, don't fucking buy in to the goddamn lies the politicians and the media and all these dickheads are telling you because fucking the world is being played. It's fucking more blatant and obvious now than it's ever been. We are fucking being used and violated and fucking deceived and fucking destroyed. We're being murdered in the goddamn streets. We're being shot with rubber bullets and stuffed into unmarked vehicles for standing up for what everyone knows is the right thing. Fuck that bullshit. Keep doing what you know is right. Don't don't fucking let anyone tell you you're wrong if you know in your heart you are correct. Okay? With the caveat that sometimes you think you're right and you're fucking wrong. You know, like, have an open goddamn mind, too. Don't get set on the fucking path that, like, the 90s led into the 2000s where we had this, like, well, I'm a punk rocker, and they're the hardcore people, you know, because we're, we're fucking the same crew. We're the same fucking people, okay? It's like, don't fucking set up divisions and fucking... You don't have to agree on everything, and what's right for you may not be right for me, and that's okay. It's like fucking people do do your fucking thing, and don't be in a fucking asshole to somebody who's got a different thing. Support these fuckers, dude. It's like go out and be creative and do your fucking shit, and like I don't know, dude. Such a goddamn bummer, this world. My fucking, uh, my new album, such a bummer. All my lyrics are, I don't know. I was like going through it with my wife, like recently, because she like kind of showed up at the end of the UV rays era and like the red hot mess, short lived era. And like after she read all the lyrics for the new record, she was like, wow, you're such a bummer. It's <laughs> like, let me hear your old shit. It's like, well, I guess you've always been like that. It's like, yeah, it's, it's always been like that. I mean, every one of our goddamn punk rock bands has been like, this shit's fucked up. Let's try to fucking fix it. It's like, acknowledge that this sucks and figure out a way to fix it. You know, and if we can't fix it on a large scale, at least fucking fix it as best as we can in our small scale lives. That's um, that's that's the same shit I've been yelling ever since I started yelling, I guess. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I think you might have to keep yelling it for at least a little while longer because I don't think things are going to change overnight with the way things are right now, you know? Um, oh, man. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people have been saying that it, it'll be cool to hear some some pissed-off music to come out of all this, and I think you're, uh, you're definitely going to bring some of that some of that uh some of that energy to this um but yeah that pretty much wraps up the uh the questions that i had for the interview i guess um do you have anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to add or anything else you want to plug with the band or anything yeah i mentioned i'm in the new band now fucking look us up um we're named suburban resistance out of las vegas fucking Suburban underscore resistance underscore punks on Instagram. Just fucking look up Suburban Resistance on Facebook, on YouTube, on Spotify. It's got a fucking skull on it. You'll figure it out. There's not that many Suburban Resistances. So check it, check out what the fuck we're doing now. Man, fucking 
check out the rest of this dude's podcast fucking check out that book that's coming out i fucking spent way too long trying to figure out how to write one fucking paragraph for that because it's like i don't remember any of this shit but i kind of figured it out and i'm fucking excited to see what the fuck everybody else put in there i hope fucking everybody got their shit together to be included i hope fucking all the slackers like fucking Jimmy Von Sin and all these dickheads like <laughs> actually submitted that shit because it's going to be a bummer if people are missing, you know. Hope the 80s bands got in there. Um, but I don't know. Fucking check out my new shit and uh, I love you guys all. I will come back and play fucking Rochester again when fucking Corona's done. We always do the goddamn UV ratio when I'm back in town. I just got canceled this year, like everything else. That wraps up episode 21. Special thanks to Kevin Wilcox for doing this interview, as well as being patient with my editing and posting process. As always, all episodes of Enterprise Hardcore Podcast are dedicated to the memory of Patrick Doyle. I'd also like to dedicate this episode to the memory of Riley Gale from Power Trip. As always, thanks to Rob Antonucci and Greg Benoit for all of their help with this podcast. And of course, special thanks to my family for the support. The next few episodes will feature interviews with Jay Galvin, Ryan Hex, Nate Derby, Brian Rao, and Ben Keefe. As always, you can find out more information at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. And make sure you give us a follow on Instagram at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast. See everyone real soon, and stay safe.